Look up the info real quick just so we have it. No, we have it. Uh, oh, we have it? Yeah, well, it's, I mean, yeah, actually, I'm going to... Yeah, don't get AIDS. I'm trying not to. Holly trying my best. It would be bad. I am in the holiday spirit. My holiday my holly yeah, spirit is don't get AIDS. Yeah, don't get AIDS on this That's holiday. That's my motto. It's, yeah, it's bad. All right, go out this door. Go out this door. Go out this door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, whoa, hey, oh, I'm a little hot. A little hot on the mic there. Hey, hey, Ron. We on? Yeah. Hey. Hey, man. What have you been up to? Um, not getting AIDS. <laughs> That's good. That's it's a very uh, 90s of you. Yeah, it was very 80s. 90s. Was it 80s? Well, it was hot. In the no, 90s, it was, 90s. It, it was like I was actually seeking it by the way I was living. But uh, oh, now Jesus I'm Christ. really trying to avoid it. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, on that note, hey, welcome to the uh, to the podcast. We have a we have a good one today. Uh, I would say, yeah, we um, definitely do. Um, it's with a guy named Howie Abrams, who uh, is an author. He was the former uh, head or founder of In Effect Records. Yeah, I would effect. say, yeah. Um, who put out such stuff as uh, the first Sick of It All um, album, Sick of It All, Nuclear Assault, yeah, Killing Time, Prong. It's all very sort of crossovery, hardcore type of stuff. Late '80s into early '90s. Yeah, documented yeah. the scene uh, very well. Very well, actually. Put out stuff that other people sat on, which was dumb of them. Yeah, and smart of him. Um, and uh, yeah, he he talks about his hatred of Sam McFeeders from Born Against, and uh, yeah, and, that was and, interesting. <laughs> I, I would have loved to have that conversation afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> dude, it was like, whoops. Okay, uh, yeah, that was that was a that was a but, button for him. That was a hysterical. Uh, he also has a book coming out called um, Joseph I: uh, Oral History of HR from the Bad Brains, um, which is accompanied by a documentary, which is doing screenings all over the country. So uh, you can check out um, the one here in Brooklyn. Is it Nighthawk? I don't know the date, but you can check it out. I think it's December fifteenth, but look something it up for like sure. that. Yeah, and it's it's probably sold out because this would seem. Like it's a pretty big documentary type yeah, thing. Are very curious. People about are very excited, and it about sounds it. really interesting, which you'll it, hear a lot about in the well, interview. Well, yeah, in the interview, he talks quite a bit about uh, HR and the bizarre things um, in his life, and uh, the sad things, and the amazing things. Um, and uh, I know for many people listening, that the Bad Brains were probably a pretty important band. To, um, Definitely for me. Yeah, but they're like these guys, like. They live in squalor. It's like they didn't make any money. Him particularly. Yeah. I mean, his story is far darker than the rest. Dr. No has been battling health issues, but uh, yeah, the, well, he's getting better as I... HR has health issues and mental issues. Yes, it's, exactly. He's got the full gamut. Um, but they're pretty... They're old dudes. and I don't know. Anyway, but it's a great interview. Um, but in the meantime, let's catch up, Ron. What's been going on, man? Uh, not much. Uh, so Sam, I am a lot this weekend. Oh yeah, Sam, I am. Oh, you went to the show in Long Island. I as went well? to both. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, we we had Sam, I am in for a uh, uh, podcast when they played here uh, the other day, which uh, talked a lot about getting robbed while buying drugs. Um, <laughs> yeah, they were. I mean, you've known them for years. They were very different people than I expected them to be. They were great. Oh, they're hysterical. They were funny. They were cool. Their they, stories were. Yeah, they have they have no qualms about telling. No, saying and a great anything. sense of humor and a. Deadpan style of yes, telling intense fucking, stories. Fucking Sergi. It's that's Sergi's mo. It's like, hey man, yeah. So like, and then he'll just tell some really horrifying story. And you're just like, but it's Whoa. in such a, he he like gently brings it's, them into your world. Hey man, okay. He's but, a great guy. I really enjoyed the interview, and uh, they were great both nights. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That was totally fun. Iron Sheik was awesome. Um, yeah. Is uh, did it wind up getting being packed on Long Island? Long Island was a typical Sunday night thing where it was packed until. Iron Sheik, 
And between the fact that it got too late for suburban people right. and the fact that Iron Sheik is such a big draw locally that some people left. But uh, Yeah, I think the joke that Sam I am said is like, oh, this is a great Iron Sheik tour. <laughs> 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 they said that to me probably. Oh, is that after. going on everywhere like that? Yeah, I well, figured did, it was just Long Island. I think they did like seven shows, Okay, something like that. I mean, New York and Long Island Iron Sheik is... Yeah, oh, yeah, turf, yeah, totally, you know? of course. Even as, though they play every three days, they probably have a show tonight. As it should they be. They play a lot. But well, they're playing Brooklyn Night Bazaar for that uh, Wild Fest uh, thing oh, right. they're doing there. But, yeah, um, um, they yeah. sounded great. That one was more enjoyable in the sense that it was slightly less crowded because everyone left, which is – but that sucks for the band. Yeah, But totally. musically, they were great both nights. Awesome. Killer. Played totally. a long set, but it didn't drag. They just, like, kind of – they kept. Going. They did a Ramon style. He didn't say a single word the whole night. Just one song. Oh, he probably has no voice. That's why. Probably just trying, to, just trying to maintain. <laughs> that's that's classic, Jason. He um, was impressed that he had a voice for the podcast he three was. in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah, I know. It was uh, thing, and you know, good for him. And that, and Sergi wasn't even drinking before the show. I was I was so impressed. They're so adult now. Um, it took them to their like late forties, but you know, <laughs> they've become men. They've become men. They've become responsible men. No, they haven't. Um, yeah, so that was that was a fun night. Uh, we got Flotsam and Jetsam tonight, um, which I wish I could plug. I wish we were live on the air. Come on, please <laughs> come to this show, please. I saw Flotsam and Jetsam open for King Diamond in 1988 at the Showcase in Comac, and I believe that is the oh, only shit, time I've ever there. seen them. I uh, saw them before that. I saw them opening for Megadeth in 87 at Sundance. At Sundance. And I saw that show with King Diamond. And then the 90s... I saw the uh, show saw Sanctuary. Fate, I saw... The show that Sanctuary opened for Megadeth. Yes, those were the two tours. Yeah. I saw both of them, but right. so, I think the Flotsam one was first. But it, it was, yeah, it, it was. Right? Been, yeah, I was too young to go. Yeah, that uh, makes sense. And then the Megadeth came back some months later. Sanctuary opened, but I think we saw Flotsam open for Merciful Fate, didn't we? At the Roxy ones. What, did Flotsam open that show? I don't know. No, um, I don't think so, man. Oh, was that Solitude Eternus? I think it was, it was Solitude yeah, Eternus because remember that book, we, we, went to the, we went to the signing. I, at least I did. I, don't, I, don't, I, I went to the signing at Looney Tunes. I didn't right? make the signing. All right. So, so another show Ron didn't make. <laughs> signing oh, man, Ron I missed so make. much. <laughs> um, the, basically, uh, I went to that and Solitude Eternus was like in the front room and King was in the back room. Did anyone know Solitude Eternus? No, they didn't. And they were just like, <laughs> just go get their stuff signed. I'm like, I don't want, I don't know this band. I don't care. Like. Can I love them, but I mean, I was probably Mitchell the only Fates guy in, in New York room. that did. Mitchell Fates in the back room. I don't, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't compare. I felt kind of bad for them, but, you know, whatever. They that are. reminds me, um, I met Metal Church the same day as Tigers of Pantang. I think it was the day Metal Church was opening for Metallica at uh, the Felt Forum, I think. I'm, it's, I'm so fucking old, I don't remember. But they were in town for some, and Tigers of Pantang happened to be in town, and they were in, like, their, you know, nobody gave a fuck and there's like 150 people there for Metal Church, and there's not a single person there for Tiger. <laughs> like literally, not a single person. It was just a, a table you had to walk by, and everyone just kind of nodded away into this band, and they looked like they wanted to die. <laughs> and um, they had one friend, of course, who was like a new wave of British heavy metal freak, and he had like seven records from them to get signed, and he hung out with them for like two hours because he was their only friend. Metallica probably thought they were doing like a huge favor for them because they, I'm guessing Metallica were big fans. Vitalis Pantang, yeah, but they weren't related to the. Um, it was just a one-off thing that got booked just in store. Oh, okay. Metal Church in town opening for Metallica. Oh, so Tigers of Pantang wasn't on the Metallica. No, they tour. weren't on the tour at all. Oh, they were just okay. in town for yeah. I think another show or in the area for some uh, unknown reason. Oh, bummer! And no one on earth cared. <laughs> it, uh, you might as well put the like your bartender behind. So it was Spinal Tap. 
It was basically Spinal Tap. Yeah, yeah. And it was very simple. Solitude Eternus. That's yeah. what triggered the stupid story. Yes. Yes. The bands don't care. Oh, oh George Ju- is bringing me more George, water. You bring you bringing me. He wants me to piss my pants. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Ron, I'm Ron the will put the put the garbagey diet coke in his body. Mm-hmm. Kidding me? In honor of the Drew Thomas podcast, uh, I'm nailed to the X. <laughs> right. Anyway, did we do that one yet? No. Uh, yeah, we did a while ago. It got released. Oh, see, what do I know? It got released a month ago. Oh, that's right. I, yeah. I listened to part of it. Yeah, <laughs> he was great. <laughs> He's pretty stupid. Anyway, so, uh, <laughs> so I was, you know, and that reminds me because I know you probably went to like a million signings at uh, at Slip Disc. Yeah, I, I went to all, almost all of them, but I missed a couple of crucial ones. I only went to the, I, only, I think the only, I went to a couple, but the one I remember specifically was Sepultura because they brought all their Brazilian versions. Yes, of, uh, they brought all their Brazilian stuff. They brought like the gatefold them. schizophrenia yeah. and, and uh, morbid visions and and the I even got Brazilian split. shirts from them. They brought like. I don't remember Shirts that. I might not have had enough money to get all that stuff because I bought. I still have all the records, but the uh, and I got my Beneath the Remains signed. But because um, they weren't even, they had just gotten signed the Roadrunner, right? At that yeah, time, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I remember Uncle Phil's, oh, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, back when uh, the infamous Tyler King worked at Uncle Phil's. And oh. Tyler King. Tyler, Tyler King Tyler. is a guy that I would love to have on this podcast. That would be great he is and i miss him a lot yeah i do too um in my own special way uh but he's my favorite asshole <laughs> i love him to death if you're not facebook friends with a guy named tyler king who runs the green room or owns the green room in flagstaff arizona sign up for his his posts are pretty epic um he's like a he's like a laid-back pallbearer <laughs> yeah he's like a pallbearer with a Slightly less brutal sense. You know, my favorite thing with Tyler went through that period where he wore sandals in the pit. Bye, George. <laughs> I remember that actually. He like he was like total Krishna beads, wearing sandals in the pit. He might have even wore sandals and socks in the pit. Wow! And like he'd be like like doing his karate kicks, and you're just like, dude, what are you doing? What What are you doing? Well, he was going to the temple with. Uh, he was. He was, he was going to the temple a little too much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was that. Krishna influence into the local hardcore scene, which was, uh, it was interesting. I'll give it that. That's a very politically correct answer. Ron. Yeah, I'm I mean, surprised. I'm, I'm surprised. The, the things that well, come I'm out like of your, your, the things that come out of your mouth, you're, you're being so, sp- so precious about the Krishna. Yeah, I have a soft spot. <laughs> no, soft spot. What, no, music? I, I mean, for, for some of my friends, I think that stuff helped them. That's the only reason I think I'm being halfway kind. I mean, or else I would throw them under the bus like any other religion. But for some of my friends, I think Krishna probably helped them from being getting into really, really dark shit. Okay. All so right. I'm giving yeah. it a slight pass. All right. So but I'll overall, go. I mean, do I understand Krishna in hardcore? In theory, sure. Because, I mean, some of the ideals certainly overlap. But in the other way, it completely contradicts. Well, I don't under- That's, that could be I, a You know what I don't episode. understand? Tyler King wearing sandals and socks in the pit with his Christian like beads going to the fucking to, like, life of agony during that the demo era. That I don't get. <laughs> yeah. That I don't get at all. At a sheer terror show, probably. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> oh, God. I love you, Tyler. Come back to Belmore. Let's, let's have Yeah. A, Come back for the holidays. Do you have any family left here? Probably not. <laughs> but if yeah, we can the, Skype someone, we should Skype him. So, so the, getting back to Uncle Phil's, Tyler worked at <laughs> Uncle Phil's. Uncle Phil's was a record store on uh, Sunrise Highway in Massapequa, and it was uh, it was awesome. We used to go there all the time. Actually, there were two, weren't there? There were two. There was one, the one on Summers Highway. And there, there was one on Hempstead Turnpike. Hempstead Turnpike. That's the one that Tyler worked at. Yes. Yeah. And, with uh, Vinny from Situated Camps. Right. With Vinny. Exactly. And uh, and you could go there, and then you could go to Utopia. 
and a get the dildos you need <laughs> and the, the bombs and a situated chaos album yep what um, more could you want and nothing. That's, a, that's a fun night that is a fun night um and he <laughs> so so the the signing that i remember going to it i was really young was coroner and creator i missed that one that was oh, no, wait, another I'm thing totally, Ron i'm totally fucking lying i went and i remember a millie from creator bought the youth of today bold split cd and we were like wow that was surprising and he was telling us about hardcore the whole time. Yeah, I wish you had told Howie that story. I should have, actually. Oh, wait, no. No, Drew. No, Drew. No, Howie was talking about the split CD. He was talking about the split CD, but and Drew was on the that CD. Was that CD, right? Him, it was you today the bold, world. right? Yes. It was that one he was talking about, right? That, right. that is the one. You're right. Yeah. You are totally right. Ha. See, I I, I, that's because I have to edit these fucking podcasts, so I listen yeah, to so them it, all the time. Yeah. So what I say and forget eight seconds later, Artie has to in, in, torture himself. An hour, two hours of me sitting in my room going, should I edit that out? Nah, fuck it. Who cares? Um, but the yeah, that, that, signing, that signing was fucking hysterical because Tyler was being a dick. And, I, and I do think remember that. It's it all coming back, back to when, me now, When he was able to get the screwdriver records and stock them in Uncle Phil's. Yeah, I broke a brutal attack record there. You bro- Did you? Yeah. Good for you. Thanks. I, especially in this climate, I mean, I would break more. Yeah, that's true. You know, I mean, I, you know, I think Brutal Attack should try and make a comeback. I think Brutal Attack will probably be now that he can't use, we're not going to take it. He'll probably use a Brutal Attack song. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of going that way. I actually just read that uh, that he's now changed his mind about climate change. Oh, he believes it's real now. Yeah, that's interesting. I just read a, 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 just a headline now, just a blurb. <clears throat> uh, I'm just kidding. No, I'm serious. Uh, <laughs> I actually listened to this podcast with this guy Scott Abrams, uh, who's mm-hmm. um, the creator of Dilbert. Any relation to Howie? Yeah, what's that? Any relation to Howie? No. No, weird, right? No, it's not Abrams, it's Adams. Sorry. Oh, okay. Uh, and he he uh, he was talking about how, not that he's a Trump supporter, but that he, he, he was a trained hypnotist. And he said that he had never seen somebody as talented in the art of persuasion as Donald Trump. Wow. And the way that he did it was to say something crazy and then... A week later, sort of reel it in a little bit. So he plays on people's emotions by saying something that's grandiose and like totally plays to that person's emotion. The you know, I'm going to create jobs. I'm going to build a wall. Yeah. I'm going to you know all that shit. And then like everybody goes, "That's fucking crazy. Why would you do that?" And then a week later, he'll like reel it in a little bit, and then like he gets double the attention because like, oh well, now he's making sense. So so he and just, it makes him look less crazy, right? Exactly. It's very strategic. Yeah, it is. It is. It's pretty brilliant. I, although he was saying in the podcast, he was saying that he uh, he's not sure if Donald Trump actually like means to do it. Is it yeah, I was gonna say, is it's this just, intentional? Like, kind of natural, or is this just like it's just like the way that he does? He's a it. businessman. He's a hustler. I mean, it's probably his approach to almost everything, and then he brought it to politics. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying anything positive about this fucking jackass, but, you know. I'll say one positive thing. What? Uh, he's against the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and I think he said he's going to completely put the squash on Yeah, that. he is. So that's gonna, one. He is. There's yeah. like 240 bad, and there's like one good. <laughs> with Hillary, there would have been like three good and like 237 bad. Well, she was going to squash the TPP, too. Yeah, as well, per, she said that last Bernie. minute after. She, behind the scenes, was absolutely pushing for that for a long time. Oh, yeah, for years, yeah. Yeah, and then she did a flip-flop. And it's basically NAFTA part two, which her husband put in. So, yeah, she's full of shit. It's, you know, pick your poison. But this one has more. <laughs> the Trump one has darker social implications. It creates so much more division on uh, people's freedom of choice issues, I think, as That's... well as the fact that he's just an incredibly polarizing guy. Well, speaking of Donald Trump, we had Dave Mustaine bartend here. Oh, yeah. How did that go? Dave Mustaine bartended at St. Vitus. Well, 
I, uh, I think it was very cool. I, you know, I was because gets everything I've ever heard about him. I was here till just about when he got here, and then I had to go see uh, Anderson, Rabin, and Wakeman at the Beacon. Get your prog fixed. Yeah, well, you know, and John Anderson was spectacular, and they did all yes songs, and uh, it was. Uh, I'm sure, you were in your glory. It was fucking glorious. Uh, so I missed it, but George kept sending me pictures, and uh, yeah, Dave wanted to push his beer, so he got behind the bar and pulled pulled a bill above. Uh, uh, a Bill Murray. <laughs> Who? A Bill Murray. Uh, That's awesome that he did that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, apparently, it was a kind of a good thrill for the people who got to experience it, and he was in a good mood. I've heard stories, but apparently, we got good Dave. Yeah, that's that's great to hear. And I've always been a huge fan. And uh, I mean, this taps into so many people that have played this club. Uh, but it's de- it's depressing when you meet someone you really liked and respected musically, and you've heard nothing but bad stories. And uh, we've talked about other people in the past, well, going back to childhood, like meeting like Blackie Lawless and Ingve. You want to love these guys, and they're just such assholes. Yeah, well, Ingve's Ingve's a very I mean, I think damaged Yngwie guy. Is probably the, and he might be the top of the. Did shade. you meet Blackie Lawless? Was he a dick? I met him at Slip Disc. Going back and? to what you said, yeah, he was a complete asshole. So he was an asshole at a record <laughs> signing. Yeah, the first album had just come out. What's the point? Just don't do it. It's funny. I talked to Mike about this recently. Two thousand people showed up. What? Two. Fucking thousand. Get the fuck out That's of here. Did they do me. the entrance from the back? I should text him <laughs> now and make sure that number is right. But I, I'm pretty sure he said 2,000. Even if you cut that in half in 1,000, it's insane. And uh, I couldn't have been more psyched. I'm like a... I bought the first album. I had to fuck like a beast on like seven colors of vinyl. I'm totally psyched. And he's the first one you meet. And he's a fucking complete asshole. What about and Chris Holmes? Chris Holmes was right next to him and was the best. He was probably wrecked. It was 2 o'clock, so he was probably wasted. Yeah, he's probably wasted. Yeah, but he was absolutely awesome. Completely appreciative, like, amped. And the rest of the band was totally nice. You know what I just thought of? And then Black Anvil played with Wasp, like, 28 years later, and he was the same asshole. Oh, really? He kicked everyone out. What was at, that? It was at um, the Crazy Donkey. They kicked everyone out of the place. Or, as I like to call it, El Burro Loco. <laughs> <laughs> they kicked everybody out. The opening bands, they kicked everyone out, but, like, three of the bartenders. For when they did sound check, oh I think because he pipes in vocals and he didn't yeah. want. But I mean, whatever. So yeah, he. I heard nothing but more horror stories. Cool. And Mike from Slipdisk says that that was the biggest. Isn't he? Isn't he a Christian? He, he is this weird Christian. He's kind of this like. Uh, he's not like a striper Christian or like a. Yeah, he's one of those guys that went through. Maybe he went through some twelve step shit. He's got a, but he's got a Christian thing going. It's slightly less annoying and ignorant as the typical Christian, but I mean. Gotcha. You know. Yeah. So he's not sacrificing virgins on stage anymore or anything like that. He's not over the top with it. I mean, that's the point. Gotcha. Going back to Mustaine, I mean, you know, he kicked death metal bands and black metal bands off festivals. He he was really Oh, yeah, yeah. Which which made me... Rod in Christ, I believe. We were actually kind of like, he's going to walk in here and be okay with all this? That we actually we did discuss it before That's it happened. That's a great point because I mean but I don't I, even look twice at it. But if I'm yeah, there's like four thousand upside down crosses in this place. Yeah. <laughs> well, also I thought he was totally sober and he drinks beer now, so maybe he's just kind of eased into his wherever he's at. Have life. you seen those commercials online Which for, the, for the Megadeth beer? No, I haven't. Oh my god, they're like uh, <laughs> they're like Calvin Klein. Uh, what Calvin Klein perfume commercials, but for beer. They're really weird. Is he in them? He's in them. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I guess they're good. I don't know. Like, I'm not an advertising guy, so what do I know? But uh, speaking of Dave Mustaine and Tyler King, now there's a good story, right? <laughs> we are bouncing everywhere. 
to why did they have an affair? Yeah, did, no, didn't Tyler fucking throw a bottle at David Stein? Oh, did he? And hit him in the head? Oh, wait, this is starting to sound familiar. At Sundance, did he really? Yeah, and then Dave, it was, it was like, why don't I remember this? I, it's like a vague memory. It was like it was probably the '87 tour, uh, uh, the one um, But like the yeah, as the story goes, he threw a bottle. Or a cup or something and hit David, David Stane in the head. And David Stane was like, come up on stage. I'll kick your ass. And Tyler was like, no, come down here. <laughs> that think, wouldn't have ended well for Tyler, by the way. No, probably not. Who knows? But he, you know, he probably had a full crew of skinhead fellas yeah, down there. Um, ready to beat up any guy yeah. with long hair. So I was just going to say, I'll, I won't get into that wormhole. Yeah. But, um, yeah. The, Half uh, of them were friends, probably. Probably. But all of them were idiots. Then. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, anyway... Yeah, I always wanted to ask Dave about that if he remembered that because it, that's that's like a a classic story that might or might not have happened. You know? There's a pretty well documented story about I think it was a, the Bad Rain show at the Ritz where Dave was being a complete asshole backstage and HR grabbed him and threw him against the wall and almost fucked him. So up. he went to a Bad Rain show or they were playing. No, it was it, Meg, it was Megadeth and Bad Rains at uh, the Ritz. It's uh, I think it's in John Joseph's book or he's uh, just talked about it in spoken word stuff. I've I've heard it more than once. And uh, it was backstage, and he I'm was being I'm, loud and disrespectful. I'm going to look for the audio version of that story from John Joseph's book and probably try and plug it in at this point. If it's on audio, <laughs> it's fucking gold. <laughs> never, the audio book of that is brilliant. It's the best audio book of all time, with the exception of the Hulk Hogan one. Oh, wait. Does Hulk read it? Yes. <laughs> and he's in full character. <laughs> Let me uh, tell you, brother. Let me tell everything. you. It's, ama- it's amazing. Deal with the diabolical Mr. Fuji. got to watch your back, brother. <laughs> if I had the discipline, I would spend my whole life talking... Just like Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Hogan. <laughs> and to see where life takes me. To put your, like, my neck, your so neck will pop out. Yeah, <laughs> my, my veins will explode. The veins will explode. <laughs> my heart will explode because I'll have to do steroids to get into that zone. <laughs> but uh, it, it's got to be a great way to live. I can't believe I didn't get any reaction to the whole... Um when, we, when you got into all the racist 80s wrestling stuff, I, I was expecting... <laughs> I was expecting a... a that is such a, crazy shit. A fierce reaction. And I only talked about part of it. I mean, there's so much of that stuff. Yeah, In the, today's the, climate, none of it would fly. The rest of the week, Ron was just continuously sending me YouTube clips. <laughs> of insanely racist WWF wrestling. It's fucking brilliant. It's, I, it's just nuts. It's coming back, man. It's going to come back. Why not? Well, it's a, if it's ever going to come back, it's, it's going to come back alt, in this climate. Alt-right. The, the, they need an alt-right wrestling. alt-right wrestling federation. Oh, it'd be amazing. <laughs> That would be amazing. If they can get a British guy with like a Brexit shirt. I mean, <laughs> I can write this shit. I have friends in wrestling. I'm going to pitch some ideas. Pitch, pitch them. It's fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah, they'll lose all their endorsements. It's going to be good. Oh, we've been doing we're, it. We're, there was a white power wrestler here. He used to wrestle in Queens. What? Yeah. Um, oh, what the fuck was his name? Some indie wrestler. And yeah, he was like blatantly white power. It was his gimmick. And this is like in the last five, ten years. But it was like, you know, there was 200 people there, so it didn't generate any, like... And wrestling fans have no ideals or filter or PC. And if they do, they certainly leave it at home. I mean, I didn't go to those shows, like, expecting to get politically enlightened. I knew my IQ was dropping in half. Because, <laughs> I mean, you know, that's just, like, how wrestling was presented. Oh, my God. This is, like, this is such a revelation to me. <laughs> White power indie wrestling. Yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing. There's a couple of wrestlers, I think, on the indie so circuit. Would he, that would, that. He, would he wrestle black wrestlers and like well, they would, say all nasty stuff to them? Or that Jewish used to wrestlers? happen in the late 80s. There aren't this any guy, Jewish Colonel wrestlers. This guy, Goldberg. Colonel De Beers, used to do that. He was like the apartheid wrestler. <laughs> he was amazing. Colonel De Beers. So was he, he, fought, he like... Um, Jimmy Snooker. And, uh, was he an African? 
Yeah, he was a white apartheid guy, and he'd like twist his eye as a mustache, and uh, he dressed in like the militant South African. And was he on WWF? No, he's in AWA. AWA. And uh, he refused to wrestle a black guy because he wanted to touch him. He's like, I despise your color. Oh my god, it was amazing. Oh my god, Colonel De Beers. He's worth looking up. I, I, I mean, it's <laughs> what the fuck. Not only was it like a racist character, but like they went as far as to find like a military African. <laughs> well, that was the gimmick he played. But they took it all. Was, they this, took during, it all away. was this during the like boycott? It was like eighty-seven. It was like I'm Mandela play some period. City. Yeah, it was Mandela period. It was timely. Who who sang that song, George? I ain't gonna play Sunset. Oh, is it is it Little Stevie? Like, well, little Stevie, yeah, Stevie Van Zandt. Yeah, that's who it is. It was like a stars thing. Let's keep it metal. It was like stars. Live Aid. Well, since we're on AIDS again, I guess we can just stop it. (laughs) No, who cries for the children? We do. We as metal. Who cries for the children? And Jeff Tate hits like some stratosphere note. And Ted Nugent's in there, which is funny because you would think he would like just want to like kill children. He could hunt them, you know? Why'd you have to bring up AIDS again? Hey, it's a theme. Fuck. It's a theme. <laughs> and on that note, here's the, here's the podcast with Howie Abrams. Who I don't think has AIDS. No, he doesn't. And this could have gone on. This this podcast literally could have gone on for three hours. I yeah. actually had to How cut. How long did it go? Uh, uh, two and a half? No. No, no. It was, oh, almost, it was almost two. Okay. But but uh, it, it's, it's, it's fucking epic. And uh, it's... This is like probably one of my favorite ones, just because Howie was so easy to talk to, and um, we all had the same stories. upbringing and evolution through music, but we never knew each other way back in the day. Yeah, so I, well, I mean, I knew I, I knew of Howie because I knew of Howie him. since like you'd, you'd go to shows, you know. There's Howie, you know. yeah, he was around all the time. So, oh, that's the in effect guy. Oh, that's the in effect. Yeah, guy. that's a little later. I see him before that. He's had every nuclear assault and crumb suckers type show, and I just he was just always around. Yeah, yeah, and. uh and he brought us some uh, some wonderful music. And uh, on that note, how it is. Started right when you said you had to do Passover last night. Yeah, that would have been great. Could be like when heritage and your musical roots collide. Yeah. Like Howie, Howie couldn't go see Brujeria last night because of because uh, of Passover. Setting. Is this shit on? You're, you're, you're such a you're such a good Jew. Shit on. I was a really good Jew yesterday. You're good Jew. Really good Jew. Well, there we go. There you make you a little. I Jewed the fuck up and had to miss Brujeria for the first time ever. Fuck. Sellout. I'm a sellout. Totally. <laughs> but you're true to you. That's it's okay. I sold out. You're true to your bloodline. You can't say anything because then you're an anti-Semite, Ron. No, no, but not if, if we I'm did here. Yeah. No, oh, okay. I'm here. Oh, you're here. Oh, if right, I'm here, yeah. it's okay. <laughs> the ADL is going to get on our case. Uh, I'm man. obviously an anti-Zionist <laughs> right now. <laughs> Who, Yale? What's that? Who'd you say? Is the ADL? ADL? Oh, the ADL. Yeah. I was like, Yale? Yeah. I know her. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got a Jewish grandfather. So, <laughs> no, so you know, you're honorary. So, Howie. Yeah, yeah. 
Good old Howie Abrams. Nice, nice young Jewish guy from Queens. <laughs> young. Young. Well, <laughs> very young. young. You were at one time. You, you were yeah. at one time. Yeah. Young, young as young could be. I saw that. I saw that. Uh, that picture of you in that interview. That was. Uh, which one? Uh, you had like really curly like. Blonde. Oh, I had. I had the fucking. The Jufro. I had the hair. Yeah. It wasn't. Well, it was Jufro later when I started to cut it. Yeah. And it was a little Jufro-y before I grew it. Oh. So you can't kind of escape it. So it's hard to tell now. But I actually had sort of curlyish hair. Yeah. So on a bad hair day, I had the Jufro. Right. Um, but uh, you know, I digress. <laughs> so kind of like Dan Loker but yeah, yeah well when Dan re- cut his hair that was Jufro <laughs> like yeah. that was serious Jufro like the first time he really kind of cut it yeah like that was as Jufro as it gets like because it had the shape it was almost a bit of a bob yeah uh, oh yeah he no, has such an iconic look though I know shit and- what just happened you just cut who uh, Howie oh uh, no microphone microphone problems talk Howie one, two, what is this? <laughs> Everything's defective at St. Vitus. I'd have to say. We're back. We are back? We are back, it's yeah. Yes, it's sense. working. What the fuck were we talking about? Fuck it. <laughs> we, we, right now, we were just talking about Jeff Tate and how patient And Jufros. And Jufros. Jufros yeah. and Jeff Tate. Yeah, we were so, talking about Jeff Tate. You should have gone for the slick back Jeff Tate look. No could have. I, I wish I could. But Ron and I were just talking about how, you know, like, we can't believe that there is Queensryche beef. You know, like that those physical. guys had physical altercations, you know, and somebody's you, a real dick. Somebody's a real dick. And, <laughs> Who's going to guess? And you're just you're just Who thinking of Jeff Tate being like, he's the guy who'd be like, I'll just give you such a pinch, you know, <laughs> and it's like brawling like those guys were brawling. Wow. That's cool. real, real stuff. Sold. Maybe it was just an excuse to get Todd Latorian because he sounds better. I don't know. He does sound really good. He does. He sounds exactly like Jeff Tate, but. That aside, um, you know, reading about like you know Queensrÿche beef was real strange. It's yeah. surreal yeah. in my head and my my you, assumption on what Queensrÿche. Do you are think those guys? Do you think those guys are rich? They're, I mean, silent lucidity alone they made did them well. loot. But yeah. they made. I mean, listen, they were not an arena touring band, no, but certainly Operation a theater Minecraft touring and band. Empire both were, weren't they? They, they, they were doing like NASA Coliseum. Oh, at some point they may have. I mean, they opened for everybody, right? So they opened for Maiden. I saw them on the Warning Tour, and they were opening at arenas. Warning! Yeah. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that was impressive. That was pretty good. I know. I'm going to put do, reverb on it at home. Can you do Queen of the Right? That's my that's my karaoke song. Can you do the hook from Queen of the Right? I'm not doing it right now, dude. I'll blow the microphone out. How about the Lady Wore Black? Come on. Come come to Vitus Karaoke one night when I'm there And you can see me and George do Queen of the Reich It's fucking amazing Already cops out on that one That's whatever That's why we liked (laughs) Queensryche Because we're like Who the fuck would do that? See, you uh, you can't hear it in the phones What's crazy is that wasn't even close (laughs) (laughs) Like it was pretty good if you weren't really trying to be Jeff Tate, what, what do you fucking want me to be? I'm just saying. It's karaoke. I'm just stating information. That's all. I'm fucking hurting my feelings, Howie. I'm sorry. You should have heard what happened in the phones. It was like. <laughs> Shit, I exploded. Yeah, it's just blowing like, up the rig. I just completely destroyed my Your fucking. laptop's dead. It's, uh, it's pretty Ooh. close. So oh knock on wood. Don't, don't, please. Sorry, I didn't mean to jinx. I don't want to lose any of this gold. Okay? Yeah, right. <laughs> fucking gold. Podcast gold. Podcast gold. Uh, we, we, uh, we somehow. Got into the conversation of Cindy Lauper, the Goonies, and um, and racist and, uh, wrestling interviews. Racist wrestling interviews, really? From the yeah, before it was, uh, it was, it went deep. We went in the rabbit hole. Cindy Lauper is fucking slept on as far as a singer. She's, she's great. really great. She's unbelievable. One of our close friends did a lot of records with her as well. George, 
General George. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Michael that. Alago worked with her, too. Yeah, he did. He did. And Nick, uh, our house sound guy, he was, was like a musical Nick director or something, right? Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, did, um, he did something with her, but I don't know if I have much to say about the Goonies or... Uh, we were just wrestling, thinking about we were, we were talking we were, wrestling stuff. We were kind of oh my god, he knows everything about it. But they, we I were just talking about wrestling, like how what a crazy marketing fucking interplay where it was like <laughs> we're going to take the Goonies, do like a ten minute Cindy Lauper video with Captain Lou Albano, and somehow have like a full WWF like fucking marketing situation it's, just before WrestleMania one. I mean, wrestling there was no better marketing like when it's it, when it was in the the golden. Yeah, you know, it's genius marketing. era, the, the, the Bob Backlund, Bruno San Martino, fucking, and Hulk Hogan. you know, Hulk, but like Andre the Giant, like that's when I watched wrestling like religiously and it was, it was Saturday afternoon at like 12 or something. And Bill and I have talked about this on Merciless. Do you remember Johnny Rods? Oh yeah. So he was the guy who'd lose. Every, All the, the time, he, yeah, him was, and S.G. Jones. He was a job. Yeah. He was a scrub. So he was the guy. He was the. He was the. Uh, He's the, a trainer. The, what was the? What's the team that loses to the fucking Globetrotters all the time? Oh yeah, the, the Titans <laughs> the, or something. The, it's it's the, the Washington. I want to say the Washington Nationals, but the, there was something like that. The, the Washington, whatever. So they're the team. But Johnny Rods was like, you felt fucking bad for the guy because you saw him every week and you knew he's going to lose. And it was like, can't they throw him a bone and like him just have an upset? One time, did they ever and have? As a they, kid, they, I cheered so but hard. Did they do the same yeah, thing? When, like, when, as, like, when, when SD Jones, at least they'd give him almost. He'd almost come back. Right. He'd even win occasionally against like some low-level dudes. So they give him some props. Johnny Rods' job was <laughs> to lose. To lose. Right. It but was, he, he ended up training Taz and a bunch of other guys. Oh, well, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Ah, that's a good tidbit <laughs> yeah, of information. I, I too much. <laughs> All right, Howie. Yes. <laughs> let's talk about you, my man. Should um, I talk about Taz? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this could just, I mean, the wormhole with you, Ron, is it's, just, you it, know, they fucking go on frightening, on frightening stuff. So uh, you start off. Uh, you get out of high school, right? Mm-hmm, this, mm-hmm. this is like, what are we talking here? Like 1980? I graduated in 86. 86. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that makes sense. Timeline-wise. And Martin Van Buren High School. Martin Queens Village. Queens. And you you went to, where'd you grow up in Queens? Queens Village. Queens Village. So I actually lived across the street from my high school. Um, That's nice. So it was uh, easy not to go to class once in a while. Yeah, it's easy to cut. Um, so that was kind of cool. You could just go home. Howie, are you uh, a shit Jew? I'm not a shit Jew. Right. I'm a pretty decent I mean, Jew. Yeah, but I mean, like, did you go to college? Uh, I went for a year. Fucking shit, you. I went for one year. I know. Like <laughs> in some, in some places in the universe, I'm a really shitty Jew. Um, I never. My was, grandfather was a no shit doctor, Jew. no lawyer. Yeah, I never. My, my grandfather was a bartender for fifty years. So right. Who, what I mean, what the fuck's that? I, all about? I never That's attempted weird. to do what Jewish parents wanted their child to be. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I never attempted. That, did, going to college for a year was as close as I got. Were your, did your parents put any pressure on you about stuff like that? You know what? They were actually really, really cool. Like my. When when I wanted to leave after a year, because I, I knew what I wanted to do, like I was so. so were you already working at? Uh, no, at- I hadn't started yet. But what I what I was doing is, like you know, when you're involved in like the hardcore scene in New York and things like that, you, while you're carrying people's amps into CBs to get in for free and do all that shit, you don't realize that you're kind of like networking, right? So I met all these people and uh, had millions of conversations, and I was always like. You know, you should do this. I was that guy. Like whether they wanted that fucking suggestion or not, you know, <laughs> it was like it was like this would be a great idea. And a lot of times they would they would take those ideas and like try certain things and or whatever. And 
So one day after I, I left school, my parents, my mom was cool. My dad was like, you're going back to school. And I was like, you didn't, you barely graduated high school. Like, what are you talking about? You never went. Mom never went. Um, yeah, you know, so it's a little tough to a different generation, but it's a little tough to, to tell me what I'm supposed to do. Right. Um, and I had been prior to that offered a job. So before I even went to college, when I was about 16, the guys from Nuclear Assault, Ron's wearing his Nuclear Assault shirt in honor of this conversation. I've been wearing it for five yeah. days. I'm nice. Filthy dirt bag. Smell the shit out of that. Yeah, um, for real. So those guys took me to, um, to important record distributors, which was um, the biggest independent record distributor in the country at the time, certainly for edgy music and you know everything from REM singles to and U2 singles as imports. Is this the guy, the guy who started this? I think he, I think he just signed my band. Uh, uh, we're on Cooking Vinyl mm-hmm. now, and he did he go to Red? Who is it? I forget his name. Such an asshole. So the, the guy who I – there's a couple of people that I connected with over there. So the meeting that I had when I was 16 was with a guy named Barry Coburn who was the owner of the whole thing. So he owned important – he owned Relativity Records. Um, he was the guy. And then Alan Becker, who's at Red now, um, was the head of distribution. So he was the head buyer. He would – work with all the labels and bring them in to be distributed by the company. But Barry Coburn was more involved in the record label and combat and relativity. So I went and met with them and nuclear salt weren't happy after game over. Like they thought that they, they were okay with everything that was going on, but they were like, how come we didn't get near the attention that some of these other bands got? We're on the same label. They're really not any bigger than us. Like, why did we get sort right. of shafted did, here? Did you have an idea of why? Did you? Have yeah, I, I think I did. And nobody in that band really wanted to take any responsibility for the business of the band. So... Some of these other bands, whether they were shit or not, had managers, right. you know, and someone would go and fight on their behalf, right. you know, and say, this isn't right, you know. So sometimes, like, if you're just a big enough pain in the ass, like, at least you, like, win a few battles, You get some right? results that way. You get some stuff done. And nobody was fighting for those guys. And none of, nobody in the band wanted to be responsible for that. They just wanted to drink beer yeah, and I'd, fucking yeah. write and play music. I would, I would watch John Connolly not, yeah. not being able to stand on stage. He drank beer. <laughs> he drank a lot of beer. Um, and he's little. And he's a little guy. So it's, but, he is little. But, but next to Danny, look really little. But what's scary is his tolerance was insane. You don't know how much beer he actually drank oh, I to imagine. get that yeah. way. Yeah. Like cases. So, so yeah. So they were like, you know, you should hire this guy. Like talking about me. And I'm like, it came out of nowhere. I'm, I don't even know how I was sitting in the meeting. I think I just gave them a ride like out to fucking Guyar Brewer Boulevard out by Kennedy Airport. <laughs> like where their warehouse was at the time. And so... The guy who owns the company starts asking me questions, and he's like, wait, wait, before you answer any more questions, how old are you? I'm like, I'm 16. He's like, whoa, 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 I'm not hiring you. Like, I'm not going to be responsible for you quitting high school to fucking, to like come and work here. But when you're done with school, like call us, you know, and maybe, maybe there's something, you know? And so I went to, to college for the one year and then... I left and... What did you take? Anything related to this? I, communications. Oh, yeah. Right? Okay. There you go. Everybody there you go. takes communications. That's the I'm going to drop out. Yeah. That's the yeah. I'm going to drop out I don't major. know what the fuck I'm doing with my but, life. But I did really well, too, but I didn't know why I was there. 
You yeah. know, so I was like, I don't know why First I'm doing it. First year college is stupid, man. Yeah. I, I don't get it. And I was like, I'm not sure why I'm here, but I guess I'm supposed to be. Like some fucking rule book says I'm supposed to be here, right? So I called them up, and within three weeks, they hired me to be a salesman for the distribution. So I was like, it's not exactly what I want, but why wouldn't I do this? You know, right. even for the fucking free records. And yeah. it small paycheck too but still um and it was great because it was 10 minutes from my house i rolled out of bed it was in hollis now at the time they moved and you know and went to work it was great so it was an amazing experience because there's nothing like what year um, is this? this when i first started was uh 87 and so it was a year later so now i'm you know 19 i wasn't even 19 yet actually and so that experience of a, a, like a, a mom and pop record store when you're trying to sell them something and they don't want it in their store because you know the budget really matters to them like yeah. they, at the time they could have just bought three times more michael jackson and madonna records and they don't give a shit about your nyhc you know and yeah. and all that shit you know even even in new york it was a hard sell not yeah. so much in new york because you had the stores that were established with this music already who had been selling it before right. um, like some records before us are gonna yeah there was no some records Quite Zigzag. yet, it was just started, but Bleaker Bob's like so. Every Friday, Bleaker Bob himself uh, would come into the warehouse and he would take the records with him so that he had them for the weekend before everybody else. And then he grew up your girlfriend. Well, yeah, well, he did a lot of shit. <laughs> Didn't insult everybody. Yeah, that was, came to a store to buy. That was it. only that was only one thing. But then he would steal promos from people's desks and stuff. Like he was a real. Oh, and sell them and sell them at all that shit. The and like, yeah, he was he was a scumbag. But but. It was a good store, and I bought a lot of my early shit there. Yeah, and, me too. Yeah, me too. And, you know, so basically, you know, you had a, a relationship with some of these stores. There'd be, like, a couple in Manhattan. There'd be, like, there was a place called Numbers in Queens. Yep. Slip Disc out on the island, obviously. Um, you know, there were these stores that were and the Zig hubs. Zigzag, Zigzag, of course. They were the hubs, like, in yeah. their respective boroughs for the, this music, whether it be hardcore, metal, whatever. Vintage vinyl, I assume, Vintage vinyl. That was even a little bit later. So 87 is a pretty pivotal <laughs> – 87, 88 is a pretty pivotal year. Yeah. Um, where the sort of genres were starting to meld. Well, the genres were melding. Like the crossover thing had kind of happened about two years earlier. So the metal hardcore thing happened. Right. But the new thing that was happening was the, the rebirth of the straight edge. Right. So, so had, was Youth of Today yeah. was now a big factor, you know. Um, and what, so were you distributing those records? Yeah, well, important distributed revelation. Okay. So, for instance, um, one of the things that I got involved in. <coughs> excuse me. This is like first I'm, ten, the now classic, like first ten. Are we going to do? Are we going to do a snap? Yeah, this is this is uh, like so the first youth of today, and they were just going to release bold. So one of the things that happened is CDs were not a big deal for this music yet. They were still new in general, and so putting out hardcore or metal like underground metal on CD was risky. So nobody really was they were the rushing limited presses. Yeah, nobody. If you were if you were lucky enough to have a limited yeah, press, absolutely. So. They were like, we want to put out like Youth of Today on CD, and maybe we should do the Bold on CD, but you know, we're not sure this is a smart idea. I'm like, well, why don't you just put them both on one CD? It's the same fucking kids. It's exactly the same kids that are going to buy both. So there was a, a release that was out there for a little while of the first Bold album and Break Down the Walls together on one CD because they were both so short anyway. Yeah, all my friends got so, it. I bought the vinyl, but all my friends who were just getting the CDs, they all bought that combined CD, yeah. which blew my mind. And it was, it was, it was the that Drew played on both. 
Yes, that's true. <laughs> that's true too. Who we already interviewed, and it was it was an experiment, you know. So yeah. so that was something where I just sort of chimed in when they, I could see that they were just they hit a wall and they didn't know what to do. And the records and, were so short that even so together short. it's like one the length of one metal record. And what kid was buying Bold and wasn't buying Ether today? Yeah. Yeah. Totally so, the same scene. So. So that was a good one. They were like, oh, I guess, I guess he just sort of proved that he knows what he's talking about, right? So now, you know, when he's bitching about combat, like shitting on all the hardcore bands, you know, maybe we should listen to him. You know, maybe there is something more. Right. And, you know, an Agnostic Front was my favorite band for years already at this time. And, you know, basically we were like... They sell more tickets than so many of these bands on combat, and they don't give them any tour support. They don't do anything for them. They just kind of throw the record out there and hope it does something. So maybe it's time that, like, there should be a new entity here that focuses on somebody like them. And so, you know, the seeds for Ineffect Records were planted, basically. Like, like maybe there's a new, you know a new label here somehow that can focus on this stuff with people that are passionate about it. Whereas like the combat people were cool. Like I'm friends with them and I like them, but they were more about like dark angel and death. They didn't know how to market like say the crumb sucker. No, they didn't know at all. And it was sort of like, maybe we should do this, you know? And so I started talking to Alan Becker who was there and he knew the value of what we were talking about. He was like the first guy who was like, they're right you know like revelation none of these labels have any contracts with these bands you know they're all one-offs um they don't put any money into marketing at all it's just this is built-in scene you know so you put the records out and it sells itself but which is impossible for a record label to understand right and so (laughs) so but we did you know because we traveled around the east coast with these bands and we saw it happen in other cities so you know you saw the smaller bands at the time you know drawing kids like all over the place and getting no love at all you know from from a label or anybody so we were just kind of that into it you know and so alan becker and i were talking about this idea and they were like we need someone else involved in this and we wound up bringing in steve martin who was in agnostic front at the time and but he was a journalist so he had connections with writers and magazines and and all that kind of stuff there you go so we're like the two of us will just do everything like we'll just do it and so we started this label called In Effect, and we're like, well, what the hell else are we putting out? So we had the Agnostic Front Live at CBGB's uh, album was already an idea, So, but it was originally going to be for combat, right. and it was recorded in 88 already. So, But we were like, let's not release it on combat. Let us release it. And then um, Prong had just you know, announced that they were putting out their second record through um, Southern Studios in the UK, and we're like... They're awesome. Let's fucking get that record for America. So you licensed force-fed. So we licensed force-fed. We put different artwork on it and everything as well. And then uh, Important also distributed Roar. So we reached out to the head of Roar and we're like, can we put out um, the Roar cassette Bad Brains for the first time on CD? And because now all of a sudden we helped launch hardcore CDs having meaning, I guess. So he was like, sure. So our first day, the first day of Ineffect Records was Agnostic Front Live at CBGB's Prong Force Fed and the Roar Cassette on CD for wow. the first time. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah that's a great trifecta. <laughs> it's a pretty good day. But it was, it's sort of taking uh, – something was very obvious. And, and I thought so. You know, and uh, like – 
and it had been sitting there and you were like, oh, I want that. I want that. I want that. It's yeah, a- because I was like as a, as a consumer, as a fan, as all of these things, I wish someone was doing this. Right. And See, that's the problem. Those people were never on the other side. So no. they didn't have your perspective. No. And then having Steve there who's been in a band, who's a journalist, who, you know, had been on the road getting shit on, you know, yeah. like – like we're you know our van breaks down and we have no fucking recourse. There's nothing we can so, do. So the Ineffect bands got tour support. We did give tour support. So at the beginning, there was no band really to give tour support. So AF didn't need su- tour support in terms of money to go on tour, but we wanted a local paper to know that they were there so that they would write about it. So the same you know venue that was hosting some college rock band that drew 200 people was going to have Agnostic Front in their room drawing five or 600 people, and we wanted people to know that they were there. We wanted like somebody to say, this band is fucking playing here and a lot of people show up and this is what they're about, hopefully with a photo or whatever it was. So tour press. Yeah. So it wasn't so much like agnostic front needed the money to go on the road. They'd been across the country a few times already, but they needed everything around them to click. They needed dots, you know, connected. Right. And And hardcore wasn't documented then. I mean, it was such a word of mouth underground thing. You either knew about it or you didn't. There was still a lot of VFW hall shows. There was still a lot of, you know, like, you know, not basement shows because they were beyond that at that point. They were pretty big band. Hard to find a basement that big. Hard to find a basement that big. But, you know, and and so we we basically were able to, like, make them – help make them a bigger band without them doing much different than they had already done. Just documenting. And then the the, the CBGB's tie-in with that album. You know, everybody knows what CBGB's is. Far more people knew what CBGB's was than knew what Agnostic Front was. It's a brand. Right. And so pre, you know, it's only a T-shirt. You know, years. Um, but, you know, so so combining all these things, like a lot of people became really curious, like, who's this band? And like the metal kids that that had heard about them from Cause for Alarm, you know, um, that may have that would like, be me. Right. Who may yeah. have lost touch with them a little bit yeah. because the next record was much more of a hardcore record, you know. Yeah. Um, and so some of those kids weren't as into, you know, liberty and justice. I think as, the, the, hard, know, the were. hardest part about, about that, which is funny to um as a kid who grew up in a metal, you know, more of a metal guy, but then eventually got into hardcore, was that the that that well, not necessarily for Ron and I, maybe a little bit more for me, but like that when you went to those shows, you were as a metalhead, even though you liked the music, you're still an outsider. You were an outsider. Yeah, there and, was, there was and, still a divided line. And and that is that that's a fucking that must have been an oddly. I mean, in looking back, it's stupid to think about it now, but that must have been a bit of an obstacle. To try and get over to broaden the band's appeal because live – I mean granted, you can buy a record and not, never go see a band play yeah. a show, yeah, which yeah. is probably what well, you were looking for. Well, that's why there were for. so many fights though I think also is because if you went to Right Track Inn in Long Island or you went to CB's, you were at a hardcore show in a venue that had hardcore music. But if you went to the bigger shows at the Ritz where they had these mixed bills – that's well, the bigger the shows are where were. those issues where were. The they really were never was. at small shows. Like you, There was definitely like a subtle – get the fuck out of here at CB's for a while when the metal yeah. kids started showing up and like it, COC really caused that. Like right when animosity came out, there were already metal kids coming to see them at CB's matinees. But when animosity came out, it really exploded. And then that whole era. So with them and then DRI puts dealing with it out and like, there's more metal kids. Now they have another record to like, then AF goes metal and puts out cause for alarm. Yeah. And like, th- there's like and a slew Island, of it. SOD. We had you know, Crumb Suckers and Ludacris 
Christ, which right. they, they, there was always a little metal in there. Yeah. And then thrash kids, thrash metal kids were showing up at these shows. And yeah. The hardcore purists wanted no part of it. Yeah, because and it created a lot. Well, of, a lot of it had to do with the dance floor, though, too. It almost because, always had to do with the dance floor, because, or just someone looking for trouble because the kid had an Exodus shirt and he, and he wasn't a skinhead. Yeah, the same stuff happened, you know, in L.A., but it was a little different because they had the mixed bills too. But it was like a gang thing, and L.A. is so segregated; it's a different Very thing. Like it's people from like thirty different neighborhoods, like spanned across a two-hour drive. You know, yeah. coming into this the Olympic Auditorium, and you know, circle pitting and suicidals are like not not in my building, you fucks. You yeah. know, and it wasn't like that here. Yeah. But you had like those handful of kids that wanted to keep it pure. Like Mike Judge talks about this. You know, like when the metal kids started coming oh, yeah. to see these matinees, and and like we got too influenced by that, and. and and, you know, and and they just there was a style to New York. So, like, there was a dancing style like moshing is a real thing. Like, it's not just a dumb word. It's like it, there was a real thing. People did not mosh outside of the East Coast, like Boston, New York, D.C. There was a specific dancing style. Yeah. There was an etiquette to, to the, the stage diving and what went on on the dance floor. It was a different animal. So you were kind of either doing it right or you oh, weren't. Yeah. And you looked... You, you, and and you got mixed bills. That's why they were blood You ass. knew immediately yeah. who yeah. had never seen they this They pick before. you out immediately yeah. if you and, see it. Yeah. And so some kids got like, you know, fucked up about Maybe it. Maybe that's why nobody ever bothered me. I'm, I moshed right. Maybe you had the style <laughs> that down. Probably I, had, I had the style down. I mean, you know? I never got fucked with. I, I know it sounds ridiculous, time. but it's like it's really true. Well, I went to all boys school, so I couldn't have long hair. Right, and uh, it it was it would be me and uh, this kid Ed Reyes who plays in Take Him Back mm-hmm. Sunday now, and uh, and this guy General George, uh, an old friend of ours from Long Island, and George had long hair, but and Ed had like a Mexican mullet. But I, I, uh, he definitely did. I had short hair, and and the SIB kids, they never, they never fucked with me. Yeah. I, it was like it was weird, and they never fucked with Ron. Mm-hmm. No, which I is never got fucked with. And I was going to shows earlier than him, mm-hmm. and I was going when I first started going to hardcore shows in '86. I was going, I mean, I was seeing hardcore bands open for bigger metal bands like yep. Anthrax and Slayer. But I was also going to like ten bands at Right Track Inn, right? And I was showing up with my two punk rock friends with foot high mohawks, and I had my hair in my face, and I'm probably wearing like. A venom or a discharge shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 200 kids age 14 to 19, all skinheads, they just stopped and stared at us like, what the fuck yeah. are you doing here? But at the end of the day, but they never nothing happened. Right. Because you, it's a different thing when you have to look each other in the eye, right? It's like, and CB's was like that too. So even though like, you're like, oh, this guy's wearing like an overkill shirt or some shit. Like, he, you know, he saw someone open for somebody at Lemoore. So now he's here at CB's. Yeah. Like... If you didn't act like an asshole, everything was fine. Right. You yeah. Know? And, you know, yeah, I mean, it's funny, though, like the, the, the entire Long Island hardcore scene that we started was a complete reaction to all of that. Right. We, we were His so yeah. fucking I was generation before, over it. Sure. It was like, this shit is stupid. Mm-hmm. And, and I wanted to go to shows. And granted, like, we had, we had violent moshing. But, again, it was because it, was, it wasn't big enough to have any outsiders. Mm-hmm. And, and if there were outsiders, never once did we ever treat them like shit. Right. Because, in my opinion, it was the more the merrier. It's like, shouldn't we have more people? Right, right. And then Nirvana hit and everything changed. And your generation of hardcore kids were a little less violent and more suburban than the ones that I knew. Well, they so that were. That's perfect. because it they were influenced. They were influenced point. by Fugazi, and yeah. if, I mean, you can, you can <clears throat> directly point to Fugazi for influencing every, and everything that came after that. Even the stuff from Jersey, like Lifetime and shit like that. Like, yeah. And even the 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 really heavy straight edge bands, like the Mouthpiece, or like these fucking stupid bands. But they, like they they all, there was a message there that wasn't. I was super into the ABC Rio, like Born Against and Rushak and and stuff like that. I was not. Yeah, and they I, hated me. 
I know. Without knowing yeah, yeah, me. You got, you yeah, got, you got shit on a lot, man. And, and, I, and I could never fucking understand it. And, and I know it's some It's just because they kids. looked at you as perpetuating a scene that... Well, they perpetuated... It was the business. I don't, yeah, I don't think that like, they knew that you like, were part you, of it. It was like, you already started your own thing. Like, what are you complaining about what someone else is doing anyway? And oh, it was because only because... Did. Well, because they liked the fucking bands. That's why. Because they loved Sick of It All. Yeah. And they loved Killing Time. And I loved it. See, I was in So they had like a whole issue with it. And it was like, yeah, but I never heard from you. You know, it was like, <laughs> it, I, I heard from kids that I, I was never Sam met Peter in my saying life. bad things, but I met, you know, I met, you know, I heard from, from kids who fucking, I'd never met, you know, and, and definitely didn't know. Were me. there articles written about you and maximum rock and roll? No, I don't know about maximum rock and roll, but they made their own flyers, like shitting on NFX and sick of it all. And yeah. I remember like, all that was stuff. They have the hardcore debate, which Steve, I guess, represented. That was the dumb. I yeah. wouldn't even, I wouldn't even go to that. I was like, this is too dumb. But in hindsight though, it's amazing how naive those kids were because they were even though they had some solid points in theory they had they had no ability to even weren't, present it yeah, properly weren't a lot of them from like upstate and Oh, like well, suburban New Jersey, plenty. There wasn't a lot from Long Island because we were no, the guys from Long Island, and ABC like, scene was not Long Island. No, kids no, they they kind of treated us like dicks. But you know, I yeah. mean, I was just a kid who showed up at ABC, and I would go to CBS on Sunday. So I was, I liked all the bands. I was neutral, and everyone was separated by lifestyle and ideals. And the scene got hypersensitive to certain issues. One thing being too much violence at CBS, which was valid, and the other side was the fact that bands were going from a DIY platform to where he was. And they were so reactionary and close-minded about a band trying to attempt to survive or get treated with any respect. Yeah. And they, I mean, the way they presented themselves, well, I thought even them was just embarrassing. I'll tell you where they really lost me. During that debate, the, the one the thing... The lyric where, where, sheet thing? Well, the lyric sheet thing I still think is stupid because people don't understand what we were trying to do and yeah. that we won. We, we were you victorious. Did the right thing. And, you did the right thing, and absolutely. nobody got hurt. Like, no, we didn't censor a record. Yeah. You know, like, we didn't bleep any fucking fucks and shits. Like, we didn't do anything like that. But when... I don't remember who it was, like, what fucking numb-nutted retard said this <laughs> during the fucking debate from the born-again side. But, like, somebody said... I guess Born Against had played with Agnostic Front at CB's or something, and they were complaining about how much money Agnostic Front got paid and how little they got paid. So they tried to make the point. They're like, how do you know all those people came to see Agnostic Front? It's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, why don't you just headline there and your 50 ABC No Rio friends will come? And I don't think it'll be the same thing as that show you just played. Like, (laughs) that's when I'm like, I can't. You're, this is irrational. Yeah. Like, this is so stupid yeah. now that I can't even fathom where you're coming from. That's like, amazing. We, we, so we had Javier. You know Javier? Yeah. And, and Javier I like a lot. Javier, we asked him about this. And yeah. he, he was like, I don't even want to talk about it. It's so stupid. Like, yeah. he had yeah. nothing to Javier's do with it. Javier's a good guy. Because like, in hindsight, it's all so And I'm childish. sure, you know what? I wouldn't doubt that Sam and, and Adam and them, like, they probably are like, cringy a little bit about it well i've it, seen interviews with some of those guys and they seem to be cringy about it but they 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 all seem to differ on what the point of this was for them i think you it know? was just for the time well it was well, for the time young and they were trying to justify their scene like yeah, their yeah. own thing and it was like can't you do that without shitting on anybody else like really there's so many of us like hardcore kids in the world that like well that was always is, my thing this is where yeah. we are now it's like aren't we well, all in the same said. boat here a few years later yeah that was the long island mentality like everyone was kind of welcome but it then it was so dumb. It was so divided back then, and then occasionally they and unnecessarily. Would book. Oh, completely. I mean, the bottom line is each band has the right to make the business decision of their choice, and you don't have to buy their and record. If you don't, you don't if have they to go do to their show. You don't like, 
you just stop supporting it financially. Yeah, that's exactly. it. There's a million other bands. I mean, I've been it. disappointed by bands. I'm not saying All I don't have a deal. I would have loved we to won't. have seen an AF Born Again show. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> show. And it happened. But like, you know, but then to complain about it afterward, like do you, you really, when you, you, you said we'll do the show together, you didn't know what was happening. And yeah. like you, you knew well, because they that did you were getting this that. percentage and they were getting this much bigger percentage of the show. World, didn't you know that? Their whole world was that ABC No Rio paradigm. Where there's four bands and it's five bucks and they probably just split but it. But Born Against played CB's plenty. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like they'd never played there and only their whole career began at ABC No Rio. Like that didn't happen. Well, they, found, they found their thing, Howie. They found their thing. They found their thing. And, and they justified their thing in some bizarre manner. And it's like I, don't, I still fucking hate those kids. I really do. <laughs> like, cause it was just I love like, it. I love it's it. so fucked up that I, I hold the, on to this. That band literally this changed my life. Like, it's so funny. Like that I hold <laughs> That I hold on to this th- to this day, it's but it's okay. like go fuck yourselves. You know what I mean? It's like I'm sure you're not the same people we today. Have you and here together? Yeah, I know, but, but I probably really wouldn't. I wouldn't probably be arguing with him. No, no. because you he's know? always uh, because he's a reasonable I mean, I human being. I listened to that debate, and I was a DIY hardcore kid. It's but I was a hardcore kid as well. Yeah. So I was just shaking my head at the lack of intelligence on how they were trying to present their argument. No matter which side you agreed with, it was embarrassing to hear them try and present their side. It was embarrassing. I thought the best part of it was when, um, and I guess this happened after, was it happen, did it happen afterwards when Luke Cole, wanted to beat him up? Yeah, when, uh, when one of the Kohler brothers left a message on Simon McFeeder's machine, it was like, this is how old this is, on his machine. Um, the, you know, the Born Against is fucking dead. Thing. See, I don't, I don't, I don't actually know. Well, they, if that they made a song. They made a song out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And 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 it was funny because uh, we were at the New York Hardcore Maybe VHS. That I don't know if I even heard. It that. did happen. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'm sure I can find it on Spotify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and uh, Drew and Walter were the they were at the New York's the New York Hardcore <laughs> VHS thing that was at Nighthawk yeah. that John Woods put on. Yeah. And um, and so they were doing a Q and A, and and Walter brought that up, or somebody brought it up. And Walter was like, you know, Walter is like he kind of walks the line of every scene. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. He doesn't really get involved heavily in that it was his answer was great and then i like they had no idea that that whole thing got picked up by refused and refused had a song called refused is fucking dead right and it was like like that stupid fucking think, debate i don't even think i knew that that connection was there yeah know? yeah yeah he didn't walter didn't walter it made was like, it all really? the way overseas it made it but, overseas but it's amazing like the first couple of times i went to europe like with bands and shit like I'd meet these kids, like these real squatter type kids. Oh, they you know? fucking hated sick of it all. And, and they'd they... bring it up. Yeah, yeah. They hated sick of it all. And then we're inside the show. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's the problem. No, you know what they would do? It was so funny. Cause they I was talk a lot of shit. Uh, my and band then, like, was on go to the show. My band was on wreckage. So right. both of the bands I was in at the time. And so we were over there all the time and it would be like, you know, it'd be the typical conversation. I don't know. Sick of it all played last week. And there's 600 people for you. Nobody. I don't understand. Right. And then they'd get it. You know, you'd get drunk with them. Because, you know, the one thing you did get was a lot of beer. And and uh, and then it'd be like, yes, this roadie from the Zikavadal, it's beating the shit out of people. Right. They don't do this here. Yeah. And, and everywhere we went, it was the same shit. And, like, people like Tim Shaw, like, all those guys that were out Toby. Yeah. They were out with all those guys. Yeah. Like, they got the fucking worst rap ever. Yeah, I know. And then their bands, like, they'd have their bands. So Ensign shows up and H2O shows up and they're like, oh, the, I don't want to book them. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was, it was violent skinheads. You think, you think the ABC <laughs> No Real thing was PC? Like, the fucking oh, shit over there? Over there, and and in my, you know, I always, I didn't really give a fuck, but 
it always, I always had trouble with people who had those kind of social services saying fucking anything. Like, come to America and see what it's like here. Uh, don't worry about who's fucking moshing. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Like, come on. Guys. It was always funny that there game, are some that game of telephone over there too. Like, because oh. this shit didn't happen over there. You know, it happened over here. Yeah. And it was like they would hear like third hand like about something that happened. Oh, even years later too. And yeah. years later, and that's totally true, actually. Yeah, and, it and, didn't get it didn't travel fast. No, no, no not no. at all. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's like an issue over there. You know. Yeah. And it was like. Zap, Zap Magazine wrote something about it. Yeah, is it is it true that you know you'd, you'd get over there and like it had passed through so many ears that you know be like is it true that Lou Collar fucked a goat in front of ABC No Rio while you know raping a virgin? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like what the fuck are you talking Agnostic about? Agnostic firm more than anyone. Whenever I meet yeah. anyone that was like a crusty or a squatter overseas, not here. Yeah. They're, Oh, I hear they're fascists. Or, I was oh, like, yeah. It was so loud. Well, they had, to, they had to live that down all the time. I mean, like, that just comes with the skinhead thing. From, it comes so, with the yeah. skinhead thing. Their name was Agnostic Front, so it's similar to National Front. Yeah. They actually came out and said, we're a skinhead band. And they came out, like, they did the Pledge of Allegiance. And the cover of Victim and Pain. Yeah. People didn't understand. It's like, And it's funny because Roger's politics. I met, I met Roger um, I oh, think just before we went to jail or something. I mean, uh, that should affect and, and he, uh, We were playing a show on Long Island. It was AF and Madball. And mind over matter, and, and uh, his politics actually when he was it was when he was married to Amy. Right, he got it, very left. His, his politics were really lefty. Yeah, yeah. And it w- it was really interesting because I don't think they are anymore. And he's he, had. A, you I know, think he just is who he is. Like it, they're certainly not right, but uh, I think meaning right wing. Yeah. Um, I just think he's like he's Switzerlandish now. You know. But back um, then though, I was I was surprised, downright surprised. I was like looking at him. I'm like, you shouldn't be talking like this. But okay. Yeah, right, 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 right. You were surprised. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was actually pleasantly surprised. But I mean, you know, I, for whatever it's worth, it was. It was a. It was a funny time, and, and it's funny how the world has gotten so much smaller because of the internet. Yep. But it felt real small back then. Well, they also a, a lot, kids that weren't around here, even the rest of the country, let alone Europe, they got very into the personalities um, that came along with the band. So they wanted to know what did Harley do today on like last Sunday in front of CBS? What did Roger do? Tell me about Vinny Stigma. What did he have for lunch? It got very like, gossipy. It, Jesus, you know, thank God there was no iPhones. It got like silly, you know yeah. what I mean? But if there were iPhones, it was, it was the same like, um, you know, curiosity though. Yeah. You know, everybody wanted to know like the dumbest things. About Actually, the people. mystery. The iPhones would have taken the mystery out of it, and it wouldn't. Have, yeah. they wouldn't have talked about it as right. much. You yeah. just would have seen Harley fighting somebody in front of CBS, yeah. and that would have been it. But you know, it was like <laughs> but they were true characters. So it's like oh, and they had you great names. That. Great names. Yeah, I mean, they, stigma. They, Gestapo. <laughs> you know, they were true characters, and their personalities were incredibly unique. And if you didn't grow up from New York like we all did, where a lot of people are like that, yeah, they, you know, you come from a different culture. They probably were fascinating characters, right? Like Stigma and Gestapo were not John and Ed. Yeah, and, and listen, I mean, just their takes, and I mean, they're just incredibly unique people. Yeah, so if exactly. you didn't come up with a New York sense of humor and background. They and, were probably and then you, such you also, interesting you, dudes. You had to be like a tape trader to like find out what they said at their last show, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, or some fanzine had to do a review, you know, um, to, to know what they had said or where they were at with a, a given situation. You right. know, there were early Chromags um, cassettes floating around of live shows. I, I'm sure you've heard yeah. that, you know, where where John Joseph is shitting on the gay parade, like the yeah. Pride Parade, you know, There's and, like, and, and those floated around, yeah. and like people were like, "What's up with those?" Fuck Guys, Man, that's yeah. like the wrestling and the thing. Rep, I mean, the rep, they, you know, New York <laughs> hardcore skinheads are like fag bashers. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. you know, that was, uh, 
But, th- but at that point... It wasn't untrue, but yeah. it wasn't mm-hmm. most people. Yeah. It was like a handful of people. Yeah. You know? And it also, that back then, the... I don't think that stuff traveled all over the way it did in the later 80s. Because that that's yeah. like early 80s stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? And in that five or six years... Well, the band started going over to Europe, too. And kids could ask them about it. Yeah. And, the, and the people who yeah. were doing some grimy stuff grew up. Yeah. Well, there's that. You know? And you that's know, a that's thing. natural thing. You yeah. Know? They weren't 15 anymore. They were in their 20s. They were a little more evolved. They changed. They regretted a lot of stuff It's very, It's I mean, very you know. high school cafeteria, the yep. whole fucking thing. And it's, <laughs> it's like, it makes it fun. But sometimes it goes off somewhere where you're like... This but is on a slightly stupid. serious yeah. side, some real – I mean, I saw firsthand and people yeah. play it down all they want or, or hype it up, whatever they're into. But some oh, really fucked up shit. Oh, happened. me too. I mean, you it's know, I mean, so many times. And it's yeah. like – but it, again, you're in New York. You're on the Bowery or whatever. And like shit just goes down. Like stuff happens. And it's it, a yeah. product of the city and the time. And, and it, that's what people take out of context. And it wasn't always like – a hardcore kid doing something fucked up. It was something fucked up happening at a hardcore show yeah. sometimes right. where, you know, you're at CB's, you forget there's this fucking major homeless hotel upstairs. And, you know, on the smaller shows, you know, where there's like 50 kids hanging out outside and the homeless people suddenly didn't feel so outnumbered. And like one of them would just go berserk that day. And like everybody had to run back into CBs and get a pool cue or something yeah, it's to, like to fight the homeless guys. I just watched a, an old YouTube video. It was a show it's kind of like your advice. Yeah, right. <laughs> just go down the block. YouTube, um, it might have been Token Entry. I can't remember what show it was, but I was watching at the end. Big Charlie gets on the mic. Right. And he says, I, was, I was at that show. I remember yeah. that whole thing. And he's like, you guys better stick together when you leave here. They're out there. And I think he said they had bats. And that had been going on for a while that yeah. day already. So like by the second or third band of the day. And then by the end of the show, you know, one of the guys, like he had some kind of weapon, like some homeless guy had a weapon and he he just wanted to do something to somebody. And so they were like, when you leave here, like make sure you guys like all walk out of here together and make sure like that shit's squashed before, you know, your friend gets fucked up, you know? Yeah. And, and stuff like that would happen to me. That was the beauty of fucking hardcore is that like, you would actually do that. Like the whole club walked out together and made sure that nothing happened, you know? So I mean, as far as them in rough neighborhoods or in rough environments meant something when now it it just becomes sloganeering bullshit for fans. And I don't mean sick of it all just to sing. It's just, you know, back then, that premise there was, was real. <laughs> there was a point yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah. It was real. You know, it was yeah, a real was thing, a... and you actually had to, you know, reinforce it because it was you. You were against everybody. Was against you. Yeah. You know, nobody I mean, wanted. I had it in my You're... small town, this... and then I had it inside shows mm-hmm. where it was like, all right, there's two of us, and there's a hundred people who want to kill us because we look like freaks. Right. And then you get to a show where there's a hundred of you. And if it was at the wrong place on the wrong night or afterwards you went to the wrong place to eat and 30 well, very, other kids were there. Very often was that because Absolutely. earlier hardcore shows weren't in the nicest spots. Never. Like they just weren't. Literally never. You know? And it was because, well, this place will have the show, so we'll do it here. Yeah. Oh, right. People fucking, you know, kill each other across tours. the street every day. <laughs> and early tours were rough because you were going into neighborhoods where you didn't know anything. Oh, well, yeah. That, was always, the, that was always the joke. It's right. like, where's yeah. the bad neighborhood? That's yeah. where we're playing. Yeah. Oh, we're in it. <laughs> right. We're in it right now. Oh, it's only 2 o'clock. We have to hang out here all oh, day. Oh, there, oh wait. Is, it, is the graffiti getting more and more? Okay, this must yeah. be where we're playing. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. It's like, am I feeling like our van is inches away from being broken into right <laughs> now? Like, okay. We're here. Totally. We're in the right place. So let me ask you, like, I know, so nowadays, I mean, not that I, I, want, I don't want to skip all the NFX stuff because that was so crucial in, so in much what glory. You yeah, that's so much glory. <laughs> um, the 
is is you getting into publishing uh, now? Is that part of you sort of wanting to tell some of these stories? Yeah, I mean, or have people who are involved tell the stories? And- I think it's all of it. Um, you know, I, I I basically kind of fell into this whole thing doing books. Um, you know, after. Uh, 2008, I was sort of officially out of the music business and I was no longer working at a label or publishing company or anything. And I tried management for a little while and that was just, I hated it. Um, it, it was cool for a little while, but unless you're working with some huge artist that makes you money and so you can work on the younger groups and yeah. you're fucked. Yeah. So I was talking ironically to two rappers, Ill Bill and Vinny Paz, and we were having these fucking ridiculous metal conversations and just about like who sucked and dumb album covers and like they sold out, they didn't sell out. Like, oh my God, that sounds amazing? like so much fun. Well, it was so much fun. <laughs> and it was with two right, the two most right people I could be having these like debates with because everybody's just dead up honest and we liked a lot of the same stuff and hated a lot of the same stuff. So it was very on the similar wavelength. And so I was like, man, I was like, remember that, that book of rap lists that Sasha Jenkins did for Ego Trip a while back? There's only one other fucking genre of music you could do this for and it would be metal. And, you know, why don't we should create like a book of metal lists, like just like that book. And, you know, just really crazy. You have to be a real fan to even get like what the fuck we're talking about. You know, you'll have your requisite best ofs and all that shit, but go off, go left, like crazy shit. Go deeper. Yeah. So I contacted Sasha, who I know for a long time. And I was like, I was like, do you have any interest in like, doing this with me you know and he's like sure and he's a, he's a real author you know he's done this before he wrote you real need books. one of those yeah. yeah he wrote real books that like people bought and stuff yeah <laughs> so i was like what do i do he goes all right i'm going to introduce you to my agent he had an, a literary agent and um you did the whole outline thing yeah we go yeah. meet meet with him he tells us like how to do a proposal tells me how to do a proposal um and i do you know like 10 pages of the book or whatever um so i did some like wacky shit and i did some you know just here's the best guitarist you know right um and in three weeks we got a deal wow and i and ironically it was with a company called abrams that's a real company so when i told people we got a deal with (laughs) abrams no no relation and and when i told people about it they're like oh so you're self-publishing i was like no fuck face they do like (laughs) diary of a wimpy kid for god's sake you know like they're a real company and so you know and then i realized that they did you know like major major books so i was like shit i actually just got a book deal with these people and so we did the book over time and and it wound up like getting a lot of attention. I mean, you know, like shortly after, I guess two weeks after it came out, we were Sunday New York Times Arts and Leisure section, like full page, um, where they just took on our worst album covers list and picked seven See, or eight of the What's interesting about it is it's almost like, a, and this is in a positive way, it's almost like a book full of clickbait. Oh, 100%. You know what I mean? Like we it, wanted you yeah. to fight. Yeah. You just want the people to fight, you know, yeah. and argue about it because we're doing it anyway, right? It's, like it's you, a bit you of a head, ahead of the curve when we get together. But it's so much fun to do. Yeah. And it was like, all right, so let's just put our fucking opinion out there. Like, yeah. let's just put yeah, it out there. Yeah, who gives a fuck? It's your deal. And like, I was like, <laughs> if you don't like it, it's write a fucking book. You right. know, I, I didn't have any book history here, you know, so we did it. And you don't like it? Go to ABC in Rio. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> fucking born against putzes. <laughs> so. Except Javier. <laughs> yeah, except Javier can still. He was only in the band for like a year, though, right? Yeah. He was not that long. He recorded but the he was, stuff. He was in the he important stuff. The important stuff. Yeah. Stuff yeah. that matters. So, exactly. continue. So, so yeah, yeah, so we did that, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, uh, I was like, wow, this is 
fucking crazy. It was never done like to have a new career or anything, you know? And then I finished the book and I go meet with the agent because we submitted the manuscript and the whole thing. And I had him sending everything to the publisher and uh, I don't know why, but that was the way we did it. Um, Just gave another set of hands, like some power to fucking do this. And he goes, so what are you going to do next? I'm like, next. I'm like, there's no next. Like, this is all I'm doing. Like, yes. this is the only thing I'll I'm ever tapped. do. Uh, I never thought about next. He goes, well, there's somebody who's looking for a writer for something. And uh, I don't even want to tell you what it is. Let me submit you and see what happens. I was like, oh, I guess this is what agents do, right? So he comes back and he goes, oh, they, they love you. And I was like, can you tell me what the fuck it is now? Like, what, what is the project he goes oh they're doing a 20th anniversary warp tour book and i'm like oh i was like you know i'm friendly with the guy who started the warp tour and owns the warp tour right kevin lyman and he's like he's like no i had no idea i was like well that shouldn't hurt us right he's like no that'll actually really help i was like so just make sure he knows it's it's me you know i've been to his house you know right, and right. had dinner with him yeah and so i got that that gig so all of a sudden i have a second book and we did it it's the warp tour people put it out themselves so right. they put it out through their merch company so there was no major publisher or anything but we did a 20th anniversary of the history of the warp tour so that was cool and did they sell it on the next tour? they sold it on the tour they sold it through Amazon. You know, they did all that stuff. It, very. Were you, were you able to? Were you able to give your opinion about the? Uh, yeah, I got to write some shit, but it was very. You know, like, it was. This very, is garbage. It, this is garbage. Cool this is, is garbage. Doing, but doing the interviews was cool because I got to ask the bands that stuff. Right. You know, yeah. like, and like it changed did, so much. Did you hate doing started. this? Do you hate it? Well, no. Now? I mean, Kevin Lyman is—he's a good businessman. He is—he knows what kids want to hear. And you know, if you don't. He Give changes a shit. with the times for sure. Well, yeah, it's just, and, and I, I and totally of course, loses older people like us. But that's yeah, not I the always point. say like those, those bands aren't yeah. for me. Yeah, they're for it's fourteen to eighteen year olds and girls and girls. Now it's for, oh my girls. god, dude! All right, I, I I mistakenly walked into an Al- asking Alexandria show. Yeah, and it was all girls, all girls, and they were all and dancing. Young. They were all young, like fourteen, and they were all like dancing like they were at a hip hop show. Right, I didn't know what the hell was going on. I know it's really fucking weird. Oh yeah, they're like this. Yeah, because they like asking Alexandria, and they like fucking Kanye. Yeah, you know? I don't get it. It's like the other shit that they like is like not like at that band. I like to call it's it the iPod Shuffle Generation. It kind of is. It really mm-hmm. fucking is. Like their whole life is a mixtape, but most of the mixtape sucks. You know, like <laughs> most of it's like horrible. A, like you would never listen to anything it's on their mixtape. Like tape. A MTV meets a bad version of like BET. It tape. is. It is. You like, know, have you seen like, some of these bands? Like, what, what are they called? Broken Side? Like those, oh, they're I from forgot, Long Island, aren't I they? I forgot what that weird genre oh, I know is they called. Are, they're painful. I, I forgot what that, they, there's like a subgenre of some horrible, like, you is know. Is it those bands that do that, like, crap core type nonsense? Yeah, it's fucking it's terrible. But it dabbles in hip hop. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, what the fuck is this? Who likes this? And sure enough, there's some people who like it. Oh, yeah. Um, they probably play like the fucking Juggalos gathering thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I bet you they'd get booed off the stage they, with that I shit. don't think those yeah. people would accept I think those kids even would that, hate that Even it yeah. sucks too much for them, too. It's not a matter of it's sucking. It's a different kind it's of like suck. It's like an insular scene. That's They're not white trash yeah. enough? It's kind of like a metalhead showing up at CB's. It's yeah, like, you have to be... Out. It's a very you-have-to-be-one-of-us yeah. kind of thing, right? And you have to be into it through some abstract... You have to write about like murdering people? Juggalo logic. I think you have to at least pretend that you want to murder people. Interesting. It's. I mean, I always question if my friends it's would have been thing. juggalos when we were 13 to 16 because it was offensive and stupid. And well, picture growing we were, up in, in middle America. Nebraska, like, yeah. That's yeah. why they do that. Yeah, completely. They, I, you hope no, they evolve. But like, believe like, me, I, I get it. I the just same like, compost is not big in New York City. No. No. You know, yeah, but they, they actually 
my town has some well, hardcore. The yeah. yeah, the suburbs. They they a little lurk. different. They lurk there. Yeah, the way a death metal kid would in 1985. Right, right. It's like you know? yeah, it's like oh, it's in the shadows. And yeah. it's like, oh, the band. That's why I wonder. I'm like, well, I was a death metal kid in 1985. Would I have been one of them? I hope yeah. I was a little smarter than that. But oh, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I was dumb. <laughs> so let's get on to good music, right? So that's a good. So then, stay positive. So Look I, to the light. So I do this warp tour thing, and <laughs> then. Uh, I get a call somewhere in there from the old GM of Roadrunner. So I worked at Roadrunner for six years. And he's like, hey, I got an email. And he's like, hey, I bought your book. Like, I'm having flashbacks, you know, Roadrunner flashbacks. And he's like, you have any idea what Case is doing? Now, Case Wessels was the owner of mm-hmm. Roadrunner Records. And he had just at that time sold the second half to Warner Music yeah. and just got, got out of he it. He came to my practice space. And Did he? My band rehearsed. Oh, nice. passed, right? No, 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 no. No, no Case he is still very much this. alive. And I don't think he's ever going to die, actually. He's one of those people. Um, <laughs> So, you know, now, so he, unbeknownst to any of us, had gotten into the book business. So he's from Europe. He's from the Netherlands. And he started buying uh, book publishing companies in Europe oh, after Roadrunner. So, so he gets in the book business. I think he's retired because he's in his 70s. Yeah, I know he's dead. And yeah, right you just asked if just he was him. dead. Right. <laughs> and so, so basically we're like... You know, I'm like, wow, he's he's in the book business, and I just wrote a book. Like, what a funny, you know, twist of what a small world, you know, events. So, so Doug Keogh, who is the GM of Roadrunner, who contacted me, was like, ah, you should reach out to him. And I was like, okay, you know, so like, I'll reach out to him and I'll get a, hey, it's so nice to hear that you're doing okay and you're not dead, you know. And it would end there, and we'd go on about our lives, but. He was like, you know what? I'm going to be in New York in a couple of weeks. Let's get together. You know, so we always got along well, and we did really good stuff together at the time. I was like, cool. So he comes to New York, and we have that like woes of the music business conversation. Oh, and, how boring! Yeah, right. <laughs> and 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 he's like now telling me the woes of the book business, and I'm like, wouldn't it be great if there was a book publishing company that was just like like what Roadrunner did in the early days or Metal Blade or Epitaph or like one of those like labels that not everybody knew that there was value in those bands you know and and if you know there's a handful of people that really know what to do with that stuff and we know who wants to know those stories and he's like that's a great idea like why don't you leave that with me you know and and we'll, we'll let me see what's what and so I don't hear from him for a bunch of months I'm like yeah that's dead like we're never talking about that again and then he contacts me one day he's like remember that conversation we had he goes we should try to do that and so we put our heads together and we helped launch this new new ish um book publishing company called lesser gods and i was gonna say um, say what the name is yeah so so lesser gods and (laughs) for our many listeners the way way the name came about was like it was the same thing like we had the same conversation the music business like we're never going to sign the really big band because they're going to go to a major label that's that's gonna be that yeah little do we know our bands would be going to major labels like eventually by their second and third records but but um he's like uh He's like, because, uh, you know, we'll never get, like, the Keith Richards book. He's like, but there's a million lesser gods. And I was like, did you hear what you just said? He's like, he's like, no. I was like, lesser gods. I was like, that's it. There's your name. He's like, oh. You know, like, yeah. and he really is like a little European man. And he said, like, oh, oh. You know, <laughs> like, and he's like, oh, you think that, you know, he goes, but let me ask you, hypothetically, he goes, what if we were going after, like, a, um, like a Lars Ulrich book? Would he be offended by lesser gods, you know, because he has a big ego? I was like, actually, he probably wouldn't because he would consider him being a lesser god to Lemmy. 
You know what I mean? Right. So if you were talking about Metallica in the context of giant rock bands, he would hate that. But if you were talking about it in terms of his heroes, like King Diamond or fucking his you know, heroes Lemmy, have integrity and have a he, he would relate to that. Yeah, well, he, he, he knows he's standing on the shoulders of giants. Exactly. Yeah. So he would totally get it. So he's like, okay, so lesser God. So we did that and we did a couple of deals. So the, the first couple of deals that I did is we're putting out Mina Caputo's book. Right. So it's a memoir about her whole fucking musical. That be very interesting. Her life, her musical life, her transition. I got in a fight with her once. Really? When, when it was he. Yeah, when okay. it was Keith, I assume. Yeah. It was well, at the angle. On the she line. was fucking angry the about angle. everything. It's like life agony. Yeah, oh no, I know. Keith was angry about everything. Keith, Keith, yeah, Keith, when he was going through the Scott Weiland phase, which lasted a while. Right. But uh, yeah, they did. No, yeah, they, they, they was arguing. It was playing with neglect, and they argued about who. I think I told this in the Johnny Stiff episode. But, um, and and he, the la- remember at the angle, the middle band was technically the headliners because all yes. the kids got to be picked up by their parents oh, at eleven. Yeah, yeah. That makes so sense. the headlining band, like never, nobody ever wanted to play last. So neglect that was like the graveyard slot, right? right. So LOA was supposed to play last, and and like you know he's he I'm not that tall, but he's considerably shorter than me. Yeah, and he kind of got in my face. He's like, I know you'll do the right thing. I know you. He kept saying it, and like I was just like, I was like, dude, what the fuck? Like I, I I'm sorry. Damn, fighting words. Yeah, I was like, I was like, like I don't, I'm not here to argue about this. Like you know, this Did is you the do way. Do the right like, thing? No, I think it was neglect. I'm not going to argue with them. Fucking, yeah, exactly. you, really? What am I going to talk sense to those guys? <laughs> Are you fucking kidding? Literally impossible. Yeah, impossible. Not right. not sensical people. So years later, though, this is really funny. So I'm on stage in Zurich, Switzerland, and and um, Mina was playing, and I think it was Keith. Still, was playing, doing like a solo gig at this mm-hmm. at this club, and I was I was there playing with Gay for Johnny Depp, which was like my side project thing for years, and um, and I was like, you know, I'm basically almost naked on stage, and I'm like, and I look at him like, yo, this dude's, I got a fight with this dude years ago. He's a chick now. I was like, does that mean I got a fight with a chick? <laughs> and you should have seen these people. They were like. What the fuck <laughs> is this guy talking about? It was kind of funny. And it was probably the early days of that transition, right? Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, because so, I think he was still Keith in, on the flyer. Right. So well, she – I mean she's fucking fascinating and she's really Oh, sure. I'm sure the story is amazing. She's so interesting and like – That would be a great read. She's a really good person and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of her bravery to be honest I, with I, you. I love, I love this. I mean like in hearing the story about this, I really uh, – like I just got a little chill because I, I like it's it's very much the way Ron and I wanted to do this where it mm-hmm. was like I don't want to interview the singer all the time right right you know I want to it's not always about the biggest guy there's some people who are behind the scenes and shit like that who deal with lots of bands yeah yeah they have stories that are fucking brilliant Ugh. you know and it's like that's that's the shit that's the stuff I love to read and it's not right. the people you hear from all the time it's like that's right you, you oh, always yeah. hear from Henry Rollins but right. why don't why doesn't Bill Stevenson talk about Black Flag yeah, yeah. Like, dude oh, right could you imagine well but you know? but but in, in in not going with that theme um, you know so so we were like okay <laughs> you doing the Lars book <laughs> yeah no we're not so doing the Lars book out. there's no Lars book um, maybe one day but uh, but. Uh, you know, so, so now I'm like, all right, well, who else? Like, you know, cause Mina to me was so obvious, you know, it was like, this, so, got to tell this fucking story. Yeah, it's totally. unbelievable. And, and it's a very, it's a very current topic. Current. The timing yeah. is great for it. It was perfect. It but was, it's not out yet, right? No, it's, uh, I was going to say be, because, uh, it'll probably be, uh, I would 
think fall seventeen. Laura Jane Grace beat you to the punch. Yeah, Laura, well, and they're <laughs> oh, very so close. Still a year away. Uh, yeah, but about. a little about a year. But but Laura Jane Grace is interesting because she credits Mina for giving her the bravery. Mina to be came public out first. Yeah, yeah about she did come out first. and and they did like an acoustic tour together and everything. Right, right, so right, they're right. they're friendly and and so you know they're like sisters in arms or something yeah. like that. They just played last night, didn't they? Yeah, they did yeah, right with Bear Religion. Bear right? Religion, yeah. So, so they might they might have just played here too. I mean, oh know, right, like was it last year, year and a half ago? That's true. Might Secret Show, Secret Show, oh, that's right. they play Secret, Secret show. show. Too bad Metallica didn't do it like they were rumored to. Yeah. Well, everybody thought that was going to happen. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I was hoping. It was I was happen. sitting on my couch at home getting emails like, yeah, yeah, sure, man. Whatever you think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> show up. Go buy beer. Up. It's cool. <laughs> so, so basically, after that, I'm like, now what? And I'm, I, I basically made a bucket list, and and atop the bucket list was HR. Um, and then at the same time, I'm like terrified of this idea of like starting a book with hr from scratch like yeah. i'm like this is a nightmarish a proposition difficult person Holy potentially fuck. difficult potentially so, yes <laughs> so, <laughs> questionably difficult so, How about that? so yeah, it's more accurate but but you know i i you know was so indebted to him and that band you know yeah and and i just was like i don't want to read a bad brains book i saw that fucking crappy movie and and i don't really need any more that more in my life i want I want HR story. So I remembered that there was a guy in Baltimore who had begun this documentary on HR. His name is James Lathos. And he, he had already started working. There was a Kickstarter and they raised I the money that. and yeah. he started making this, this movie. So I'm like, you know what? Let me just fucking call him. Like, let me cold call him. I'll get his number somehow and I'll reach out to him. And I was like... You know, I really want to do this book. I know you're doing this movie. Um, you know, what do you think about, like, partnering up somehow and making this kind of a package deal a little bit, you know? And he was like, I love it, you know? So he had already done, like, a lot of interviews. He had been working on it for a few years already. Like, this was not something he had just begun. So, and he had gotten some key people that, like, would have been very, very difficult, I thought, DC to get to. DC people. So he had Sid McRae. You know, and who who turned the bad brains onto punk, yeah. you know, and was, you know, technically their first singer. He was their first you singer, know? actually. Yeah. Um, and so he, he got like the mind power story and he got like really the real the beginning, beginning yeah. like other DC guys. So Ian was interviewed. Alec McKay was interviewed. Um Mark Anderson, who's from Positive Force DC, yep. um, like all these people that were really like either there or more or less there for a lot of this. Um, Lucien Perkins, who, the photographer um, who shot them at Valley Green, which was when they did their own like version of Rock Against Racism and like a project in D.C. Like, and just plugged into someone's fucking through their window <laughs> into like an outlet in their house That's and amazing. played to like these, you know, this entirely black, like, like project audience who had no fucking idea what they were doing they just knew that they were black guys doing it so they paid attention because if it were white guys playing punk rock in front of them they would have been like fuck you like yeah. you know and there's ama- That's the best case scenario. amazing <laughs> stories amazing stories about that that time and so we just basically combined efforts and we just said let's let's go and do this book you know and so Basically, I'm an author on a fucking HR book, aside from publishing it. Um, and the book is done. It's called Finding Joseph I. And, and that story is related to James um, finding HR um, living in a warehouse in Baltimore, like basically squatting when he went to interview him for Escape magazine years earlier. Um, so that's how he found him. And he wound up becoming very good friends with HR. Like HR is the godfather to his kid. Wow. Um, wow. Like they're 
very close. And so, and Joseph, because people, a lot of people don't know that when he joined the 12 tribes of Israel, um, when he got deep, deep, deep into Rasta, um, you get a Rasta name basically. And because he was born in the month of February, um, you get the name Joseph. So Bob Marley was a Joseph. He was born in February. Um, so it has to do with the month you were born. That's, so that that's, could get confusing. That's where Joseph came from. So you got Joseph, you got HR, you have, um, you know, um, Paul, which is his birth name, right. you know, so you have all this shit. You're going to find out shit you never wanted to know in this book. No, me. I mean, but that's, it's, it's unbelievable. There's, there's, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything I don't so want to know because it's, it's just, he's just such a, a polarizing figure. Yeah. He just said, Ron, man, what's going on with you, dude? The flip phone is just blowing up. Yeah, yeah. you know, popular guy. This fucking guy. This fucking flip phone. This guy's an idiot. High so tech. I'm ignoring him. This guy's an idiot. Why don't you just say who he is? <laughs> I should. No, don't. It's fine. It's <laughs> I don't care. He won't hear it for a while. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I'll be friends with him for a Might be a month. Yeah. Might be a month. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the, this is coming out pretty good. I might want to get it out yeah, you know, right. earlier. Um, yeah. but, but no, I, it, he's it, such a polarizing figure. He's such a, uh, a, a mysterious guy because his popularity was really during a time when you didn't have a lot of information about people. No, and, and that's what's so amazing because I thought that there's so many rumors and there's so much myth and there's so much shit that floats around. Well, the modern day stuff him. is him fucking like, you know, going on stage with a motorcycle helmet. Right. And, and nobody gonna, yeah. understood why. And when you read this book and you see the film, you're going to understand what the fuck happened. So how is the that, first how time. Is he now? He's pretty good, actually. I um, heard that through the grapevine. Yeah. He, um, he's married and he lives in Philadelphia with his wife. Great. And I think it's been about three years. I don't want to give away too much, but long story short, she met him, you know, fell in love with him over like time. It didn't happen like it wasn't like a love at first sight kind of thing. She knew who he was. Um, they met when um, Fishbone was uh, premiering their film, the, the, the documentary, documentary about yeah. Fishbone. And I guess HR was playing the premiere. And so they they met and like they struck up a friendship, but there was nothing romantic for a long time. And she started having feelings for him, but she obviously was party to a lot of his behavior, you know. Um, so she basically realized what a lot of other people wouldn't say out loud, which was there's something really hey, fucking wrong, you know, yeah. with this guy. Can I help you? Oh, what's up, dude? Uh, is your bus here? You guys are super early. I was told you're going to be here at seven. It's up to us. You in particular. We were interrupted by a Saint Vitus Tech. <laughs> was that guy tripping? He was something. He, he was probably in, just woke up. He seemed a little shot. Yeah. Interesting. Can you imagine someone from Saint Vitus being that ex- exhibiting that kind of behavior? <laughs> kind of shit is that it was gonna be a rare today type <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah exactly uh yeah anyway so so there's a book and an, and an accompanying <laughs> the book and then there's a movie yeah and it's like they're they're being released at the same time does not necessarily they'll be around the same time so the 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 film is actually premiering at a film festival called uh dock and roll in london in november so it's the first um time anyone's really going to see the film okay. um and we're talking now to nighthawk um about doing it in brooklyn that as well so we're just not sure when exactly it's going to be um so it's going to be sometime between november and january can you um, get him to show up well, HR show well that's what we want to do that i mean because because i've talked to dave castillo about doing something here as we where where we could you know 
um, have like a book release, show the film, you know, like do do an event like what yeah. you did with Johnny Rotten or you know mm-hmm. Lita Ford or something, you know, and and you know it. it Which if, what if, we're going to do with Sebastian Bach soon? Oh, very nice. Yeah. So if, oh, if HR is here, there'll be a Q and A, obviously, and we'd love for him to be here. I mean, he's definitely together enough to do this. He did That's like cool. you know a radio show recently where he was good, you know. Um, and so we have had Bobby Liebling here, so oh, know, a couple well, times. So you know, yeah, you know what it's, it's okay. like. Yeah, um, we, we like the unpredictable. Exactly, it's, okay. it's unpredictable. But I'll tell you what, he's less unpredictable than he ever was was. or not ever was but certainly for the last 20 plus years that's good Um, but you know again i don't want to give away like everything you know that's transpired in his life and you know it's gonna be a great read either way it's really i i loved doing it because of the shit that i found out and the people i got to talk to about like hr and you know about his band that's my favorite band of all time and like all that stuff so it's I, I'm really proud of the book. I think it turned out great. I think people are really going to like it. I felt a lot of pressure doing it, to be honest, because of who it is yeah. um, and how much the band yeah. means to me. You know, do you and feel so, so do, many people in general uh, and people around me that I'm going to have to see face to face as like, a now as a now <laughs> uh, an author? Yes. Um, do you author. feel do you do you feel that you would be able to do as good a job on somebody who you weren't as big a fan of, or is that something you want to try and avoid? No, I would do it. Uh, I mean, I would certainly rather do something that I feel passionate about. And that's how I felt with every record label I worked at, too. Like, but you get to that point where, you know, you may not just want to go home and take out everybody's record and listen to it for yourself, you know? Yeah. Um, but if I can do a story justice and feel like I could do it better than anybody else, then great. Yeah. You know, but, you know, I, I'm, I think I'm past the point of like having to love them. I would just really like to love them yeah you know as opposed to right right not right I yeah think it's easier that way it's easier if it's not just a job yeah like yeah. for any band member like if you're just up there playing music you fucking hate or or forget hate just don't you know love yeah um it's gonna have to suck probably for you um as opposed to like if you're still psyched every day getting up there and doing your thing of course right yeah of course i mean it's it's a uh, it's interesting is it's it's such it, it it correlates so much with what you've done for a lot of your life. I mean, I feel that it does like, and, and it's a way to keep my toe in the music water without like having to try to sell records to somebody, Yeah, you know? Cause I just think that that's a horrible thing to have to do now. When we were having this conversation, I was thinking about, um, cause I've seen smaller record labels do this where they, re- they do like a artwork book, mm-hmm. like almost like, and then they just have a download code in it. Yep. Yeah. So as opposed to doing, it's becoming very common actually. Yeah. As opposed to buying vinyl that you don't bother playing or yep. tape that you don't bother playing. Sure. You have like a book and, uh, it would be cool to do like, like a greatest hit style thing for yeah. a band, like, like a, well, a retrospective of their lives and then a download code for greatest hits. It's like, a, it's a way of sort of finding a new way of product for well we've talked about something like that uh in the form of an art book with a fairly prominent guy who we're having a conversation with about a book where we want to do an art book and have like this accompanying soundtrack you know somehow available um so you could whether it's a retrospective of an artist's career whatever it is like a musician's career um i think that there's you know what we are going to do certainly with lesser gods is we think like a record company. So the fans are of what we're going to do. They're going to be music fans. So they're not going to be people who necessarily go to Barnes and Noble automatically. 
we're marketing to them. So knowing that our books are in the Amoebas and the Rough Trades and those types of stores are vital to us. Right. You know, that, that Rev carries our books, you know, like I just reached out to Jordan. Like, how do I make sure, you know, you carry our books like to, to uh, Cortex in Germany? Like, how do yeah. I make sure that you have our our HR book and we're doing Roger Moret's book awesome. um, next year as well from Agnostic Front and like it has to be right like we're just not some other publishing company like what we're doing we would be uh, severely handicapped if we didn't go about it this way right. um, and weren't making sure that all the right people actually carried what the fuck we we're going to try to sell um, it would be a huge mistake so you know we have to go about it that way and we only a couple of weeks ago put out our first book which was this um, Pantera visual history um, book called The Vulgar Display of Pantera oh I was wondering that, I saw that that was, was, for that it, was our first book okay um, so that was the very first book that we put out and and it's in you know it's in cooperation with the band um, Joe the, the, the photographer was with them there entire career like pre he didn't have any was secret shots days? of phil zeke island well, yeah no he didn't have any secret because <laughs> that's all out there for everyone to see <laughs> but he, had, he had the hair metal pose where he, we had not only that but he had a pre-fill so yeah he, ha- he had the whole few records without phil Oof. he was shooting them then and then you know and was with him and like i guess at some point he really had just gained daryl's trust and so daryl's like you're our guy like you can shoot us whenever the fuck you want you so can walk around the Darryl stage stuff. well the whole idea of the book was that joe wanted to do like a love letter to Dimebag and like that was the whole kind of theme for this book was that I'm going to do it's a Pantera book but it's going to be very heavy on Dime and then um, I want it's something to be like hit for his legacy, you know, to be proud of. And, um, and it sounds like it documents his whole career, basically. It really does. And, and, you know, there's, there's, there's text in there as well, but it's mostly a photo book and it's really like a beautiful, you know, coffee table book. And it's, it's something where if like, if you're a Pantera fan, like this is like must have stuff. Yeah. Um, so that was the first thing we did. And the very next thing will be the, the HR book, which comes out January 17th. Awesome. And, um, and then Mina and Roger will be probably, racing to see which one will be third um i think rogers may be done before mina's um but you know we have some other things uh in the works and other things like coming up and uh there is a lessergods.com believe it or not um so you can see what we're up to and uh <laughs> and it's you know it's cool because it's it feels like an independent record label from the 80s as a book publishing company I mean, it's very like that's what it ways. is yeah, I mean, we'll be censoring our band soon, and you know, <laughs> so, no so, 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 uh, so ABC, ABC no Rio, Rio kids will, will never bad. buy our book. This fucking yeah, don't bitches. boycott. But uh, you know, so so we'll try to censor something along the way. Uh, Dude, you know, you know, it would be great. Speak, but they won't be able to put it in the. You know, it'd be yeah, great yeah, yeah. Is, it, is if they recreated the debate with the way everybody is now, <laughs> and how fucking funny that would be. It's like I'm really okay with what well, you're actually, doing. I'm yeah. sure hey, let's go to dinner. I'm fine with it, really. I'm sure there were a lot of words that were so on PC by today's standards that the whole thing would offend kids now. Oh, I, I, I don't remember if in the debate if somebody said faggot or not. I'm sure like, someone did. Like, I think it may have happened, and I'm sure it wasn't the ABC No Rio kids who said it. Um, it was Mike Bullshit. He can do that, though. Yeah, Mike, yeah. Mike <laughs> Bullshit and I went to high school together. I, oh, you went to school? Yeah, yeah. And I think Javier went to our, my school, too, by the way. Uh, so when that whole do you happen to know? Yes, like, he went to school with Mike Bullshit, but he, he said he actually mentioned. Than us, he, yeah, yeah he mentioned you as well. Yeah, Mike. Mike didn't get me into it, but Mike and I. I went to my first hardcore show with Mike Bullshit. You went together. Yeah, we, which which is a show I never would have heard of. Just Reagan Youth was playing on fucking Queens Boulevard, like at some place called the Subway, you know, in wow. 1984, and I'm like. <laughs> 
like, <laughs> how would I even know about that, you know? And so, but I, I wrote a little bit for Bullshit Monthly. I did like a metal column for him. Uh-huh. So I, I'm in a few Bullshit Monthlies. And so, like, I would review the Venom what Slayer happened, Exodus show. What it, happened? It all fell apart. Like, my whole life fell apart. <laughs> but... I'm still trying to figure out why anybody wants to speak to me about any of this, honestly. But so know, wait, I like, wait, I like, I like talking about doing? it. I do. I do enjoy hearing myself talk, but like, I don't know, like, why anybody cares. Um, clickbait, man. Clickbait. It is clickbait. Yeah. But you know, we do. We do the fucking. We do merciless, and we just play music. We, I'm putting out books. It's kind of a weird. Like you know, if I look at it from afar, and I'm like, this is what I'm doing now. It's like. It's it's it, listen. It's very cool, and I'm proud of it. But I'm sort of a little bit shocked. You yeah. know, I thought well, I'd we be, didn't think we'd be doing this two months ago. I thought yeah. I'd be working at record happened. companies forever, and you know, how's Merciless going? Merciless is good. We do it at a Ill Bill's house now, you know, because cool. we don't do it on EVR, so we don't do it as frequently. It's not weekly, but it's close enough. And we've done uh, the next episode will be our 45th, and. Um, you know, so we do like a couple episodes at a time in his house. You know, being a rapper and all, he's got Pro Tools, so yeah, yeah. it's he's very, got all the right it's it's gear. very it's very easy to to do uh, the recording. And then we we really like create the playlists and stuff on the fly. And you know, like the, the certain things that we'll want to talk about are obvious, like because something happened that week, you Some know, kind of news, right? Or like we'll just make shit up that we feel like we should be talking yeah. about. You and know? you guys, much like me and Artie, just kind of roll and go in ten different directions. It, it, it just like it's, uh, it's it just comes like yeah. whatever fucking happens. It's very spontaneous. You guys feed well off each other. Yeah, I think we're a good complement to one another, and we we like plenty of the same stuff. But then there's stuff that we totally don't agree on, which is That's great. The more interesting. It makes it more interesting. It's definitely the more interesting. Well, the fact that Ill Bill rapper Ill Bill is the guy who brings hair metal to our show, yeah. like is unbelievable. And then I find out he's like, oh, you know, like. Uh, he was like, I forgot what song it was. It was like a major hair metal song. And he's like, yeah, like Immortal Technique and I did a song like we, where, we sa- oh, where we sampled Bon Jovi, you know, but it never came out. And I'm like, what? You know, yeah, like, that's crazy. Like your fans finding that out right now are going to be flipping out. Like, he, like where is the song? The, um, to One Far Away or uh, Don't Break the Oath, Merciful Fate. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always wonder when like the hip hop contingent. It's of- funny that you brought that up because, you know, he asked king diamond permission and was ready to pay him and king said no really yeah so there's there's a video version and then there's an album version and the album version has a replay and the video version happened to have been done to the the sample wow so it's like i'm sure i shouldn't be putting this out there like that but um he was shut down and like king is cool but he just kind of like he doesn't want anything to do with hip-hop he really doesn't and he's just one of those guys yeah and um you know, and so he he shut him down. But there are a lot of people who who said yes. I mean, Bill's done stuff. His two songs out with HR, but yeah. HR came and sang for him. Like actually, I mean, came I was I was in the studio for that. We did it in L.A. Actually, um, when Bill, is this when HR was still kind of off the rails, or was he yeah, in a better we, place? Very unpredictable. This yeah. was still this was a, a bit of a while ago. It's a nice PC word you're using. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> very well, like, unpredictable. Listen, I have I, oddly I have a relationship with him well, now. Yeah, I, um, so you like, are putting a book out by him. Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, we kind of deal with each other now. (laughs) Um, It's a different relationship. So he's thanked me in a book, you know. It's like, whoa. So, you know, um, 
But we, yeah, this was in L.A. and uh, Bill had just played there. And every time Bill would go out to L.A., he would try to get HR to come and like do something with him. And I guess there were two or three previous occasions where it didn't work out. So there was not much of a reason for him to believe it was going to happen this time. Right. And he showed up. So Bill played the El Rey Theater, you know, and like a thousand kids. It was unbelievable show. And and HR shows up before the show starts. And That's he just, awesome. And he just sat backstage like silent almost for hours and just waited for Bill to be done. And then we took him to uh, Lethal from House of Pain and Limp Bizkit fame. Mm-hmm. Um, had a studio on Limp Bizkit's dime at the time. And we took him to the studio and he recorded with him. And so there was... Now, the, did Bill give him his parts or kind of give him no, a song and say, I'll, hey, do I'll, what you want? Well, here's what happens, right? So he shows up and then we all realize how unprepared we are. And then we're <laughs> like, well, what the fuck are we going to do? He's actually here. Yeah, he didn't expect so, us. Bill's like, okay, I have a beat CD in the car. We'll pick five songs that like we think are good for his voice. And show them to him. We'll listen to it on the way to the studio, and then we'll play him those songs. Like it was five or six that we picked out of like thirty. Right. So we're like, no, 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 next one. That'd be good. So we get to the studio and we um, we play him those those beats. And there were, like I said, there were five or six of them. I'm like, which one do you want to, you know, do something over? He goes, I'll, I'll do all six, you know? And wow. so we're like, cool. So we're like, what are you going to do? And we, we kind of knew his method, like that he would just, it would, his process. Process. It would sort of start his spoken word and become sing, singing vocals. Right. And so we did it. And sure enough, he's like, it's just like, you know, job bless God, you know. <laughs> I and I is he know. doing his whisper kind of voice? Yes, but then it's, but then it started to evolve, you know, into like he's now singing, and so he did three takes on all six beats. So he wow. did eighteen takes of vocals, and all he wanted the whole time was a like a can of coke. That was it, and so he got it's paid. Pretty reasonable. Yeah, he got paid. We paid him. Obviously, that wasn't, you know. But like, we're like, what can we get you? Can we buy you dinner? Like, what, you know, right. what can we do? Yeah, just give me a can of Coca Cola. That's all he wanted. So he did eight, eighteen fucking takes. Wow. So you could listen to. Bill's so he has a good work ethic, even when he's great struggling. work ethic because he just That's zones. He just zones in, and yeah. I was in the room. With him, not the control room, but in the fucking room with the mic with him when he was doing it. So, of course, I'm just like, I'm in the fucking room with HR yeah, doing yeah. vocals. But, and then, like, all these people started hearing about what we were doing at the studio. Like, text started going around. And so people started well, people showing, showing up, up at the studio. Yeah, I'd imagine. And, like, so, and there were people who just didn't know how to behave themselves, you know, because they were just, like, flipping out. And, like, so. How did HR react to that? He, it was, he, was, he was completely oblivious. He just had no idea what was going on. Planet. He was just, it was him and the microphone, and that was it. But that's good. It didn't interfere. Totally great. He just nailed it, and that was that. And, and, and you could hear the song Raya on Bill's album, The Hour of Reprisal, and yep. then there's 40 Deuce Hebrew, which was on the album, The Grimy Awards, and both are fucking awesome. Like his yeah, vocal, I like Cole's His vocal passes are job. incredible on it. Yeah, And it those were literally just, like, we took great stuff and made a chorus out of it, and then, like, that would be a great verse, and, like, we'll that's cool get to know, the tempo right. That's cool to know, because you would just assume and, what, what I missed, man. At that point. You missed us talking about HR singing on Ill Bill songs. Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> like doing. Uh, I would just assume that it's okay. HR it's only St. Vitus about to play your club. Difficult <laughs> at that point that Bill kind of told him what to do. So to know that he worked it out on his own is interesting. Yeah, he, he just did it. Like he completely off the head just said, This is what I'm doing. That's and did great. It. And it was amazing. And, you know, so 
it's that was an unbelievable like moment like because i'm figuring well this is the greatest moment i'm ever gonna have with hr like little did i know i'd be an author on his fucking book you know like a few few years later um that was kind of nuts um but it's cool like i love music and and i i love going to see bands and i still like i buy shit i download shit i uh, listen to demos like i'm still totally into it it. i'm still in it and it'll be for the rest of my fucking life i've 48 years and counting it's like you know you both know you see me here we're doing this at st vitus right now here in brooklyn it's like i'm a patron you know like (laughs) i don't and i don't ask for guest list i fucking buy no your name was actually the first name at the anthrax on the anthrax will call because abrams ab ab have to be like aaron's or some shit to get ahead i was i was i was like what how he didn't ask us to get in no no i just fucking i buy them i wrote it for them once and now i'm buying their tickets at the 250 capacity club and it was a benefit i would never ask for yeah. a fucking yeah. free ticket yeah. for a benefit. That was actually really nice. People were, were like rolling up just giving us like an extra fucking 50 yeah, bucks yeah. and shit for the That's And cool. people uh, were buying the posters and like, you know. Yeah, they had, they, I know they had merch that was Yeah, it was like signed was posters that all went to Gilda's Club and, yeah, no, you know, cool. and it, that was a great, I mean, it, and it's just such a bug out to see a band like that here and, you know, and I've seen them so many times at so many stages in their career but that was like one of those special evenings provided by St. Vitus here on Manhattan Avenue in <laughs> Greenpoint, Brooklyn. <laughs> I have an in effect question. Yes. Uh, what records did you think, which records are you the most proud of, and which ones did you think deserved better and didn't get the respect that they deserved? I mean, I have a, a couple of favorites. The one that, there's a couple that I come back to that I, I'm really, really proud of. The first Sick of It All album, I'm Definitely. really, really proud of. And I'm proud of because I'm proud of those guys also. Yeah. I'm proud of that band. And I mean, I'm proud. 30 years in. And we did that. That entire album in three days, like start to finish. Like, to, so I guess we're not fucking hardcore enough, um, you know. Start to finish in three days. <laughs> ABC, one day, no Rio, you one day. So <laughs> five hours at ABC. You, you think I can let go of this one day? No. Um, so it's okay. So that's something I'm really proud of, and it, and it extends because of like I love those guys, Great and guys. and I love the way they've gone about their business. You know, um, I'm very very proud of the first Madball album for the same reason, like that I know Freddie since he's like nine years old you know i literally watched him grow up and like become one of the greatest front men in hardcore ever you know and the way that he goes out of his way to support this music and take it across the globe and like you never could have seen that you know when when i first knew him and signed him to in effect at 12 you know and then (laughs) roadrunner for the albums you know so i think i just did a record on on rick age yeah Yeah. they did which was the dropping many suckers suckers. that was the second single single. Yeah. That was kind of, so, that was relatively controversial because uh, we yeah. But I feel like I have a career with them. It's really strange. <laughs> um, but then you know, Scatterbrain was fucking huge. Yeah. You know, don't um, call me dude for 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 in effect. And it was like you know we signed him as Ludacrist, and similar to the, the issues we expected to have with Sick of It All, we were already getting grief from retailers. Can I help you? You know, like about the name Ludacrist, which is crazy, but that was happening. Like that people right. were like, uh, you know, and. Part of the problem was that there were two Ludacrist albums that didn't sell very well. Yeah. So great records. So too. The, great records, but the retailers didn't want to take a chance on a band called Ludacrist, whose first two albums didn't sell dick. Yeah. You know. So when we finally heard "Here Comes Trouble," you know, I mean, it's a totally different animal. Totally different anyway. animal. But and they were, lineup. but they were making that album as Ludacrist anyway. So were, I, I that's mean, the album they were just from making. Long Island, was, was, I saw the whole transition from the demo. Yeah, yeah. And you know. They were playing those songs. Well, how about Ludacrist. the second Ludacrist album was a 
giant, Definitely. you know, leap from the well, first it's a different one. Different rhythm section. There was totally a lot of different. Yep. And so, some of my earliest shows was Ludacris. Those, Chris, those Christmas shows. Oh yeah, amazing, fucking awesome. And like so, so that was something where when we heard the album, it was just one of those things where you realized it deserved more. You know yeah. that, and like, it was reaching a wider audience, much wider Scatterbrain, audience. Scatterbrain, yeah, Scatterbrain had a big push. If yeah. I remember correctly, and after Twenty Four Seven Spies, it it opened up, in effect, to like. This much wider audience, yeah. like outside of hardcore, that had no fucking idea, like what our other records were, you know. Right. And so, twenty four seven spies started out within the hardcore scene because there was nothing else for them to do. Then, yeah. you know, latched yeah, onto the, the, the Fishbone, Chili Peppers, Faith No More yeah. world, and we're playing in that world and Jane's Addiction and all that. And and and, and that was, you know, not a, a huge thing at the time when they first started doing it. Those bands were not big, big bands the way they became. Um, and then. When they had success with the first album, you know, Scatterbrain, the door was wide open, like for us to like walk through that door one more time. Yeah. And we had the album already. We had heard this album and we knew like how fucking great it was. And, you know, don't call me dude and all that shit. And yeah, they would say they're making a video. For yeah. And then I'm in the video getting thrown off the Empire State yeah, Building by Tommy that. Christ. <laughs> and so, you know, but, but that was another thing is that we made videos like pretty early on. So the fact that there was that anthem video anthem for video the Agnostic Front. Headbangers Ball, too. Time, which yeah. is huge at, on for live at CBGB's and yep. like so we made videos and and um there's that sick of it all video and a lot of people hadn't seen for injustice system yeah um, but we made them really cheap like we were making them for like four grand five grand yeah. you know because we knew we had a relationship with headbangers ball because of combat too and like that they would at least play it a couple of times and Anthem, they played a, a lot, lot. A lot and yeah. i couldn't believe how much they played and the, the sick of it all video they didn't play that much but it got like a lot of the cable shows and it got overseas and yeah. you know people saw it, still it got and, out there. and it still got out there and then you know so there was that and then you know jungle boogie was the first yes. video in history that got played on Yo! MTV Raps 120 Minutes and Headbangers Ball. Wow, it was the first time really that had ever happened. Like, but they had the potential to reach all those markets. Well, so that was the thing. So we were like, well, why wouldn't we ask them to do that? You know, yeah, we thought, you we were like, I know it's a little fucking crazy, but we're like snot-nosed fucking kids from, you know, Queens and Long Island, respectively, uh, with me and Steve. And we were like, fuck, fuck that. They should do this. Like, this is worthy of this. They're getting that kind of press. Like, why wouldn't they play the videos on those yeah. shows? So that got you know done, and then we do "Don't Call Me Dude," and it, you know and all this stuff started happening. Nuclear Assault got yeah. a lot of play. And you had what's your name in it? Yeah, Jessica Hahn. Yes, and that, that was like a weird idea on their part, but but the video was great, and the, the bouncing you know mutant yeah, face and and with the lyrics and and that um, the, the the producer of Headbangers Ball at the time was a huge fan of theirs, like because she liked that they were conscious, you know, and so. And she loved, like, really edgy shit, but she's still a producer on MTV, you know? So right. she she needed something to, like, feel good about. So she's like, Nuclear Assault I feel good about. Sepultura I feel good about. Like, they're saying something, right. you know? And so they played the shit out of that Nuclear Assault video. They, they showed that a lot. And, uh, and and listen, they made an incredible album, arguably the album of their career. Probably you, the best. You know, with Handle with Care. I'm only because of the production would I say it's. I, I prefer Game Over, but I don't like the production. Like, yeah, that, that's. The, I would love somebody to take that album and just try to like retract guitars and to, mix it again. Just get rid of those watery thin guitars. It's horrible guitars. Yeah, but the rest of the record's amazing. And the songs were amazing. Yeah, great record. But the demos uh, are heavier. Actually, demos I was I was super sad that we couldn't get them to play here before that been they great. called it. But yeah, it's. Uh, I went to the. the they quote um, unquote wanted to do a bigger room. Yeah, so, well, but that's well, they did. but that's not them. That's oh, Glenn Evans. 
Oh, okay. That's one guy oh, that's because the other three guys don't have those conversations. Uh, so, I see. you know, they basically get told about it after the fact. Right, right. So, you know, so Gramercy probably gave them whatever guarantee they gave them. The show is fucking that great. That show was amazing. And thankfully, they picked good bands to open for yeah, them. Yeah, Whiplash and Murphy's, Murphy's Law was perfect. It was like, it was, great it was like, what 80s year is this? It felt like in a here now. Show. It, it was really was like, did. And it was like, it was like old timers, but there were a lot of like young kids. Like the young kids that you can't tell if they're like crust punks or like what they're about and like but they, they were, were crazy they were the kids who went crazy yeah those kids you know? went nuts yeah it was like one of those shows was like wow the pit's insane in here today you know yeah, yeah they, and there was a lot of energy <coughs> at that show it really was and like murphy's law was amazing you know they went over so good with metal so kids good. it was good to see yeah it was really fun to see and so to answer your question i guess all of them i liked a lot of those <laughs> records but but i don't I feel like every band, like I've had to answer this question before about like, you know, is anybody, should anybody have gotten more out of the experience or something? I think everybody got probably exactly what they were supposed to get, you know? If a label your size, I think you did a great job of getting the word out, promotion. Oh, yeah. I I mean, I think, I think that it was, I think that it was crucial in, in like, uh, and, and also like a lot of the bands. Uh, unlike other bands in that period, had a lot of longevity. Yeah, you know, so they're still sticking around. It started careers. Yeah, and, but and every Definitely. band's totally different. Their work ethic is different. What they want out of the experience is different. Yeah. So, yeah. like, sick of it all, just wanted to have a career playing hardcore. That's all they really ever wanted. They were like, but they've done that. Let's and just not. Succeeded. Let's not. <laughs> and this is from ones. day one. They're like, that's all we want. Like, we just don't ever want to wear a suit. But we don't want to have day jobs. You can say and, Madball. Madball. I, I always. I have, a, I have a saying. It's my saying. Mm-hmm. If you don't like Madball, you don't like hardcore. I agree yeah. with that. Uh, you know, and people bitch and whine about it being too this or too this. Well, too what? What's it? It's like, but that's what it is. Like but that's if you're what an early hardcore 80s is. Hardcore guy, I, I, yeah. Madball is not the prototype. For and we've, we've no, had this. No, we've had this conversation. But they became. Yeah, they became the next one. generation. Yeah, they really did. But new, specifically, sure. New York hardcore, and and but the definitely the, New York hardcore. I always I always said that if like if hardcore progresses, it's not hardcore anymore. So then it's done. Right. And that's pretty much it. So it's like yeah. it's like well, it's you know it's a progression of hardcore. Well, then it's not hardcore. Well, the only, it's a yeah, different the only genre. Thing that progresses now is production values and gear. Yeah. But the production value progressing just makes it sound metal. Well, and then you oh, talk about, always. but then you, right, right. So you listen to and most of the bands are listen metal. to set it they off, and hardcore kids were like, "This is too polished," and this is too. It's like, will you shut the fuck up? Like, I get it. Like, but how nitpicky do you want to be? Spoiled like, bitches. Is it not a great album? It's a great well, it's album. Funny what's considered hardcore now. Like the first Biohazard record, I was like, "Oh, this is so metal." Yeah. But that's so much more hardcore than ninety percent of what's called hardcore. Oh, now. of course it is. Because yeah. the the definition has changed so much. Yeah, big time. It's like almost. A totally different animal compared to, say, pre eighty six. Yeah, agree. or even totally 88, 89, yep. You know, and then you know, like there's again, there's bands who like they just had a different idea of what this all was, and like you look at a band like Killing Time, like people like oh they should be bigger. Those guys didn't want to tour. You know, especially Anthony, like he was like on the like working on Wall Street yeah, or some shit, you know, gig. and it was like he's not leaving that job to go yeah. fucking play to hardcore kids in Wisconsin. See, I, I w- see that's a that's a difference. I would have never wanted a tour. Yeah, he, he, he I had to be convinced, you know. <laughs> What was that? I would have quit. Of course you would have quit. And I quit well, so we, many we jobs. We probably all would have quit. We probably fucking, all would have. Fucking you know, idiot. Like, I hate when I hear people's smart stories like that. Fuck them, man. <laughs> but like, you know, Anthony I had a, and I finally had to have a conversation one day. I was like, 
he's like, why aren't we this? And why? I was like, because you you're not doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. You're not putting in any effort. Yeah. Like, you go to Boston, you go to D.C., you might go to Ro- Rhode Island, and you play New York once in a while. That's and called, like, and you know, Sammy Siegel will call that the Killing Time Tour. Well, that's as, what it was. Uh, Doug Karen is came from Vermont, exactly who, who managed was. Youth of Today. It's like, you're going to do the Killing Time Tour. It yeah. is Albany, terms? Burlington, oh, Vermont. I, I don't know if Killing Time went to Albany. You Boston, I mean? Massachusetts, yeah. Providence, Rhode Island. Totally. <laughs> the so Killing Time they Like they barely played Jersey or Long Island, yeah. you know? And it was like when Wait, you – They used to play like small When you're going to do Island. your part, we'll do more. Like how much effort do you want us to put in for you to go to your, do your fucking 80th Boston show this year? I'm like yeah. sick of it all who were road dogs. Who were road dogs all the time. And they were like anything – we can do to go play, yeah. and so knowing that, for it's instance, a different mindset. This was this was a, an ineffect thing that happened. So, you know, obviously we were like brother sister labels with Combat and Relativity yeah. and all that stuff. So, Combat were having their issues with Exodus because Exodus now we're going to be on Capital, you know, for their next record After and everything. Right. So they want, so they want like tour support from Combat, and Combat's like, you just left our label. Like, <laughs> why would we give you money? You know, like go get it from Capital. Yeah. Like, and they have so, more anyway. Right, they have a lot more. So, so uh, you know, it, it, it was sort of the position was kind of softening, where maybe Combat was going to give them some tour support money because it was still like there was money to be made off their well, record. Three and, records on their label. Yeah, yeah, not yet, but there were going to be. Yeah, and so we were like, it's just like what this if epic we, amount of merch? What if we? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> by the way, we're, we're surrounded by St. Vitus loading into St. Vitus. So we're surrounded by boxes of merch. I like all this stuff. You hear that? That's loading in. It's loading in. Those I love road it. Cases. I love Gear it. time. So, so anyway, basically. real time stuff. We said, let's, let's maybe give them some tour support, but make them take a band of ours. Like, so. And I said, make them take Sick of It All, because Sick of It All liked Exodus from the bail-off days, and make them take Sick of It All on tour, and then you can give them the tour support. So we hit them with it. They're like, okay. Wow. So, like, Sick of It All goes out with Exodus for a bunch of dates. And how, how would that go over? Huge. It was like the first two songs, kids were like trying to figure out, like, am I supposed to like this? Well, the, I like the this. Toxic Waltz was out at that point. So Around they, that time. Right. So they could Toxic Waltz it up they to Sick of It All. Toxic Waltz it. Which <laughs> probably meant 50 fights a night when the Sick of It All fans showed up. It wasn't that bunch. bad yet. Really? Because, I'm surprised. Because they're, they're, if I saw someone Toxic Waltzing at that time, yeah, I wanted yeah. to hit them. And I grew yeah, up yeah. metal before I became well, a hardcore that, kid. But everyone there was more into the Toxic Waltz. You know, yeah, so I mean, right. you're outnumbered by Toxic Waltzers. But they had to be hardcore kids taking cheap shots. No, but that's what hardcore kids do. But the thing is, there was only like a fraction of hardcore kids in those rooms. You yeah, know what I mean? It had to be outnumbered. Right, like yeah. 50 yeah. To 800. Yeah. yeah, it was. Hey, how you doing? That was right. about it. What's up, man? Hey, how you doing? You guys use this fucking table? I'll just move my this bag. This fucking so table. Oh, yes. <laughs> how you doing? How you doing? There's a lot of accents over here. <laughs> so a lot of so, so accents. That was a, that was a, that's a little fun fact. Yeah. And, then, and then after that fun fact, that's when like DRI goes, hey, we should take the Sick of It All band on tour. Because now. All these people within the circuit of like Thanks. you know agents and venues that like now knew who this band Savage, was. That's right. Yeah. And Sick of It All had to open in their own hometown. In they a, played in Sundance. A, in, I know. Right, but they played at the Lyric Theater, who had just started doing shows. It was like a common fested fucking former porn theater, like from like two minutes earlier. Like I wouldn't touch anything in that fucking building. I was like, I'm not sitting down. I'm not touching anything. I wish hand sanitizer was invented because I. <laughs> <laughs> I want to take a, sh- a bath in it right now. It's disgusting. So, but that was yeah. So DRI though, 
the way they got that was when we pitched them directly to the DRI guys to take them, they'd now heard of them. You know, they heard of them a little bit before, but now the agents had heard of them and the venues knew who they were because they, the they, they went through with Exodus yeah. and DRI's now putting their toe in the metal waters. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that stuff was happening. And they went over was that was well. that was that around like four of a kind? That was uh I think it was still crossover. It was still crossover. I think it was still crossover, like around that time. Mm. And you know, like somewhere between those two or something. Yeah. And but I know DRI crossover. If it was, it was like a second leg. It's the first time. They yeah, yeah. We had the weirdest. I think they were on that tour for a long time. We had the weirdest time. DRI show here. The singer. Uh, I was talk- I, my band opened. And we almost beat him up. I was talking to Johnny Stiff about it after it had happened. But it was a uh, he. He stood in the corner, and and wouldn't go near the front of the stage. And I, I was really confused because it was like people were into it. Yeah. And and he like he barely faced the crowd. Really? Yeah. So I was like, I, I, Johnny was there. I mean, like, Kurt's it, a little strange, but he is an odd guy. He yes. said he, he said he, had, he has anxiety problems. So I'm not surprised by that. So so it, did the Backstreet Boys. The Backstreet Boys. Oh no, no, new kids. The new kids have new kids anxiety had problems. Anxiety problems. Interesting. Don't ask wow. me why After I know that. Years, you'd uh, think uh, thing, he'd be comfortable. The right stuff. But we we my band opened actually and. The drummer, who's luckily no longer in the band, was a total asshole. Oh, yeah, that guy. Actually, almost beat him up. Wow. Oh, the drummer from DRI. Yeah, not the guy who's in now. Yeah, Monster's in there now. Yeah, no, he's Shout great. out to my mans. Yeah, yeah didn't great. he get in a fight with Gary about something? Uh, John. Uh, oh. Both of them. Oh, oh, right. No, he needed, he needed to borrow his... He borrowed everything down to the drumsticks. and then did He didn't have drumsticks. Him. That's right. He didn't have drumsticks. <laughs> and then after the, sh- after the show, drumsticks. Where I'm carrying the floor time, and John's behind me, our drummer, and he has the kick drum, and that DRI drummer who borrowed everything and didn't thank anything... Sees us carrying these giant drums out and doesn't hold the door open That's, for us and shuts it in front of us. Well, that must John must have freaked out. I had to hold John back. The John was John was in Madball. Ah, uh, right, John, right, right. John as uh, he was with him, as in Jeff the early Spicoli days. would say, "You dick." Yeah, exactly. He was in Minor Matter with him. He was in Madball. He was in Death Cycle with me, and he's a good friend of all of us. But he does not. He went above and beyond the whole night for the guy, and he loved DRI. Uh, and here's this guy, and I had a, He hated DRI for like. A while, and I was like, he was not in the real DRI. Yeah, so yeah, don't yeah, hold yeah. It against yeah. Don't worry, he's not OG. No, not yeah. at all. No. And luckily, that guy's gone because he was a he was horrible. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, you're out. You're fuck him. I don't even know your name, but fuck <laughs> you. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, please. We're not talking about that. No, I won't. Damn it. I, I so I so when once we get the Twitch thing up, I want to I want to do the entire thing with the Trump po- po- like picture behind us. Well, like it it'll did. be interesting to see if he's our president by then. For people, yeah, oh, that's true. <laughs> Which is for, terrifying. For people like, who don't I, know I this. I won't talk about it on Facebook, and I don't want to talk it out at all. There's I mean, a, there's a, there's and a, Trump are just two different kinds of nightmares. Um, but, I mean. One and, nightmare I don't want to live through. That's all I'm saying. I don't want to live under the banner of either. There's but, still uh, merch coming. <laughs> yeah, it's more St. Vitus merch. Wow! Look at all the merch. I know we're, we're going to have to wrap it up because they're going to need. We're going to be buried in merch. They're going to need the bar to carry to count the merch. Yeah. Well, uh, it was it was lovely chatting with you, gentlemen. Yeah. Great to be honest. You, yeah. And uh, and thank you for having me. I'm oh, still not sure why pleasure, you'd, you'd want to do that, but because you have great stories. I do have good stories. I have to say, yeah. I give pretty good story. I always feel like but every time we have a conversation in the basement here, it's something great. Yes, it is true, and and it's actually they're true stories, which is good. I'm not fucking bullshitting. Well, you don't need to lie. I'm not telling anybody. Because I wasn't there. 
Exactly. Me either. A lot of people do I'm that. We already had Johnny Stiff do it. That's fine. Oh, yeah. But he was there. <laughs> he was yeah. there. So, uh, and his but, stories are great. Yeah. And my, and my stories are the my, my stories are, I, I don't even know if they're true yeah, or not. Yeah. It's, you know. You have to figure out if your own stories are true. Yeah. It's pretty much what I do. I'll listen back and be like, I don't know if that happened, but in my brain it did. So I'm just going to say it. It's yeah. your truth, then. It's my truth. Yeah. yeah. Even though it's probably bullshit. It, no, it's usually... Partially bullshit? I think partially sprinkled bullshit. Sprinkled with bullshit? Sprinkled with, sprinkled with what I wanted it to be. Hmm. A, a, a wish is just a lie. I wonder lie, if we all really do that it. subconsciously. Yeah. Or a lie, a lie is just never, a wish. A lie is ne- just a wish. Never let facts yeah. get in the way of a good story. Exactly. It's a good uh, Jeff Tweedy line. A lie is just a wish. Oof. Which I stole. Where'd you... Yeah. How'd that get into this? <laughs> Him. It's, sorry. I mean, we did just talk about new kids. Yeah. So yeah, Howie, we talk about and you brought it. to Cat Stevens when you walked. Yeah, that is true. You did this, not me. I didn't you. Do blame yourself. What did I do? Uh, uh, uh. You did that part. Uh, I said uh, the right uh, stuff. There's a couple of standard questions you ask everybody. Best show you've ever seen. Oh my God. I know it's really not fair, but I, I mean, in two and a half minutes, <laughs> I, I'm really not sure if I can actually answer it with one, but. I'll always go with, like, when I have to answer this, is the first time I saw Agnostic Front, the first time I saw Bad Brains. Do you remember the show specifically? Yeah. I mean, so the, the first time I saw Agnostic Front, I don't think I could tell you the date, but it was right when Victim and Pain came out. So it was 84 CBs, and they just played a matinee like they would always yeah. play. And I just happened to know about that one and go to that one. And it was just... It was pretty life altering. Just the, the the power of that fucking band and like the oh, grittiness. Yeah. I didn't see it until '86, and, and even and, then and they were still they unreal. were still great. And like the you know the just the, the the atmosphere in that fucking room, you know. And it was just a different different thing. And the the bad brains. The first time I saw them was those 85 reunion shows at the rock hotel yeah. um which like i didn't ever know well, they were, i didn't know they in. went away yeah. no that was the 1018 show in 87 so okay. um but this was um one night was chromags it was the chromags pms um i forgot who else played honestly it doesn't matter who else played um it was their night it was just the bad brains like and again i had no idea they had disappeared for a couple of years so 83 to 85 they didn't yeah. really do anything and chris williamson was opening up this new place called the rock hotel yep. and approached anthony county their manager at the time and said can i have bad brains for two nights to open this club and that's how it's all in the book actually this whole story is about oh, this great. they wrote eye against eye rehearsing for those shows oh my god um so oh. the first time they ever played reignition were those shows and um and it was you never saw anything like that. You're never going to see anything like that again in terms of like the quality of that front man and yeah. just the power and fucking urgency of that band. So those two were incredible. And I grew up a massive, massive Kiss fan. So I saw Kiss when I was nine years old in Madison Square Garden. Was that um, Destroyer or Love Gun? Seventy seven. So it was. It was. Um, it was really, I guess, rock and roll over. Well, yeah. Um, so I saw one of those shows. I went with a friend who I played Little League with, and our parents dropped us off at the garden, nine years old. Jesus. And, like, oh let us go to the show. And they That's went to have dinner together, no cell phones, and, like, we just met them in front of some fucking landmark near the garden after the show. And... Uh, and so that, I mean, that was like, that's what got me into music, you know? Well, that had to be life-altering. That right. was life-altering. Real life-altering. quick. You felt real you quick. into a comic book. Worst show you've ever seen. Worst show I've ever seen? Biggest meltdown you've ever seen of a fucking band on stage. Uh, Discharge on the uh, Great New Ritz. World um, tour where they, 
came out as, and all of a sudden tape. we're a hair metal band. Oh, right, 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 right. And so, and they were fucking terrible. And so that was with DRI, COC, and yep. Youth of Today. Yep. So all three of them killed. And then Discharge comes on. You're all psyched for Discharge. And they come and just lay the biggest fucking dump on the stage at the Ritz. And then that, that legendary story about HR dumping, garbage can. dumping a garbage can on stage with them. Because I guess there was like a prior beef, I hear. So he didn't like them to begin with. And then they go and just stunk up New York. And that was the most disappointing fucking steaming heap of garbage show I My think I remember. My friend went to that show. I couldn't go that day. And he taped it. I still have the audio tape. And you just hear nothing but them playing like some 10th rate King Diamond yeah. hair metal style. And... um and just people just screaming, and you could just tell beer bottles are being thrown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes on for about fifteen minutes. It was one and of then those. They just walked off. Yeah, they walked off. They didn't yeah. bother. They, uh, wow, they gave up. I think they played like less than twenty minutes. That's for sure. They played about five songs. They were going to play the old stuff afterwards, but they didn't least, get to it. They didn't get it. It was offensive. It was <laughs> offensive. Like how good they were, and then how bad it became. Beautiful. Well, Howie Abrams. Peace. UFOs? I gotta go. I gotta go help Saint us park their park their van. UFOs. Yes or no? Not the band. Don't don't be Eddie Trunk. I say maybe to both. That's the standard answer. I'm Switzerland on this one. Everyone's such a fence sitter with this. Fuck. I'm sorry, I can't commit to aliens. Damn it. Okay, well, I've had a couple people do it. It's all right. right, Someone told the story of like... Yeah, Aaron Turner from ISIS. Uh, I can think of some people you can interview who fucking say yes to aliens. Yeah, all these people I think have come from spaceships. That's what I'm talking about. Eddie Leeway. <laughs> There's a few. Well, I I like Eddie Sowell. Three cheers for the space boy. Um, <laughs> you had to have been there. Thank you so much, Howie. Respect. Good luck Thank with everything. Thanks for having me. Really. Yeah, dude. Appreciate it. Hour Thanks 40. Shaking hands. You hour 45. Yeah. Hour, hour 45. You got some yapping right there. God damn I'm it. I'm not even in helmet. <laughs> <laughs> Neither was staying here anymore. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> wow. Thanks, yeah, man. Almost Thank set you. the record. Bye.